Welcome to the GT Reboot. Another BlizzCon has come and gone, bringing news of a new Overwatch character, Hearthstone's next expansion, and a classic vanilla server for World of Warcraft. Mike Pierce and I discuss this and other stories, including recent layoffs at Telltale and Runic Games shuttering its doors. Then later, Mike Dunn and Kate Purcell join to talk some Wolfenstein 2, Call of Duty, and Super Mario Odyssey. What's up, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Gaming Trend Reboot Podcast. My name is Mike Pierce, and I'm joined by my co-editor, co-host, both, I guess. Co-editor. I'm Can definitely you be a co-editor. A, a co-editor would be if we were working on a project together. This is definitely we this are is an ongoing project, but You're, we are co-hosting. Project, but we're not yeah. editing the podcast. I mean, I edit the podcast, and you host the podcast, and we co-host sometimes. So I think I think co-host is the way to go here. Okay. All right. Well, you're your co-host, my co-host, Mr. Joe DeClara. And are you coming from Queens or Brooklyn this week? I'm coming from Queens every single week. And I remembered something interesting that I call you the editor abroad or editor at large. But since yeah. we don't have station headquarters at Gaming Trend, we're all mm-hmm. based in our own homes or offices or what have you, then on weeks that I host the podcast, you are the editor at large. But now you are hosting the podcast, so I am the editor at large. So you should say that I am Joe DeClara, editor at large, and then say Joe DeClara after that. Say that. I, I don't know about that though, because I think I'm the only one outside of the U.S. That's true. And so, but that's I think why that we. That's why you're me. You're always the editor abroad, but we can be alternatively editors at large because we're at large from the home base of where the thing's happening and so i am at large from your base home base in the uk i don't know man i feel like you're really grasping at straws here i I mean grasping at straws would be if there was like a reason for this conversation to exist that's imperative and it's not at all it's totally that's a good point i'm having a great week here in queens mike how are you I'm good, and uh, thanks for coming on my podcast, by the way. I love this podcast so much. It's almost as good as my podcast, so happy yeah. to be on. Oh, th- almost as good. I love that. Nice. Let's throw in a nice little barb there right there at the it beginning. Is. It's wonderful. It We're off to a good start already. So... We're going to jump right into the news. This is a surprisingly news-heavy week. It seems like it's been a little bit slow the last couple of weeks. It's mostly just been releases and things gearing up for the holiday season, but there's been uh, quite a lot of news, BlizzCon being one of the big ones. But before we talk about BlizzCon, we're going to talk about Hitman, one of, uh, one of my favorite franchises of all time. And uh, if listeners will remember, or if whether you listen to the show or not, you may know that IO Interactive, the developer of Hitman, separated from Square Enix um, earlier this year. I can't remember when it was. I want to say maybe two months ago or something like that. Uh, I can't see it here in front of me. I probably should have looked that up. It was probably much earlier, it was, yeah. It was, it was relatively recent, and it, it was certainly this year. And... Um, there's been sort of rumors swirling about whether or not there would be another Hitman and when it was coming out. But now we have the official word from IO Interactive themselves. There is a new Hitman on the way. We don't really know anything about it. They, they teased a couple things. 
They said uh, that there will be a couple new franchise firsts, but they're not talking about them. And they won't start talking about it until some point in 2018. So that's about all we know. But um, I'm excited and I'm excited to see that IO Interactive is, you know, sort of plowing ahead uh, after this separation from from Square Enix and plowing ahead in, in a positive way and that they presumably have uh, a lot of creative control over the IP that they now exclusively own. So I, I'm excited about that. I know you're not really a, a Hitman fan, Joe, but uh, I think, I, I'm hoping this will be great. Yeah, this is excellent news for any Hitman fan, uh, especially because the latest Hitman was a big hit. You weren't the biggest fan of this Hitman, but you were... I think it's safe to say now an outlier as far as critics go and also like the general public at large who played Hitman games. Most people were a big fan of this past Hitman game. Uh, you specifically are not a fan of the episodic format, actually. That I was going to say, yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. the thing. I like the game itself, just not the episodic format. Right, so in general, people loved this recent Hitman. Right, just the Correct. actual game itself. So that's great news for everyone. Uh, and it's even greater news just by the fact that uh, it started off with some really dire news. IO was separating, uh, that Square Enix was selling uh, off IO Interactive or just uh, right. severing ties from them. And that's always, generally, always sad news or bad news for a company, right? They go independent, maybe they do well on their own, uh, but. Almost always the IP stays with the publisher or the head developer, like, uh, you know, the head headquarters. But this was an anomaly of a situation where IO kept the Hitman IP, is creating their next game. It doesn't seem to have created any kind of rift as far as we can tell. Obviously, there's plenty of things going on internally, but it just looks smooth sailing so far. Yeah, it really happened. does seem like a surprisingly amicable separation. And, and like you said, they retained the rights to their, their IP, like really the only IP that anyone knows them for mm. as well. So um, I, I'm just... the only The only thing I'm worried about is that they're still able to, you know, publish it and get it out there and that it's, it's got high enough visibility that people will still buy it in big numbers like they did the previous ones that, um, you know, some, I don't know, like whatever publishing muscle that Square Enix brought to the table, I hope that they're still able to find that, so to speak, and get their game out there. And I mean, these days it shouldn't be too hard with digital platforms like Steam and things like that, but... Mm. I just hope that um, that it's successful because if it's not successful, they're probably staking a lot of the company's future on the success of this next Hitman iteration. So the success just, of any company is always predicated on the success of their next project, whether it be their big flagship title Hitman game or something, anything that they invest their time and money and uh, talent into. It's always you know that's kind of especially in this industry is well, right. always like the the big gamble right and so you're absolutely right but i think it's particularly critical in this case after a separation like this where they're now independent and they did cut down their staff quite a lot too i remember post yeah uh, uh, yeah post we should separation say, right. so yeah we should so, say i said smooth sailing before we should say there were some layoffs at before earlier in the year when this uh severing ties occurred so you're right it wasn't totally even on our end, it didn't even communicate as uh, smooth sailing. People did lose their jobs, so that's unfortunate. But, I mean, for people who are excited for a Hitman game, 
uh, it looks pretty exciting. You are right, though. This is probably the most critical point of their yeah. career. And uh, from here on out, it, it'll all depend on what happens with this next game, probably. I think so. I think this is very much a make-or-break game. I, I mean, I could be wrong. I don't know the internal finances of this company at all. So Right, sure. But my sense is post this separation and layoffs and that this is the only IP that they're known for. This is kind of their only move, or their only smart move, it seems like, and therefore it's a little bit of a make or break. So I'm just hopeful that it ends up being a make and not a break in well, the end. But. Well, often uh, what they what folks could do, uh, developers, especially when they branch off and do their own thing, much like Bungie, though Bungie was in a much more... Um, uh, privileged situation where they got right. uh, they had a lot more uh, fo- a lo- much larger following and a lot more weight to their name and then they mm-hmm. made this partnership with Activision so they got the uh, huge bank account to go with it right Bungie when they severed ties with Microsoft they had to give up their baby Halo and so right. they went on to make something that was very Halo-esque Destiny and it's actually very very successful and uh, so that is normally the only move, right, quote unquote, that a company can make once they've severed ties. And in a similar situation like this, this is an right. anomaly that they are going to make a Hitman game with Hitman on the title. And that's pretty cool that they can still keep doing that. Yeah, I agree. So yeah. really quick before we move on, I, I, I sensed you wanted to move on. I don't know. But what did they said here? I want to let you know, blah, blah, blah. Exciting new features and some franchise firsts for this next game. Mike, as a Hitman developer, uh, as a Hitman fan, what do you think of this? <laughs> the, the, like, the franchise first. What could these... that, yeah. What it, throw you know, some I've... shots in the dark. What could it be? God, dude, I, I'm so bad at this. Is like, these are like the games that I'm terrible at. Like, what do you, what, what does this cryptic clue tell you about something or whatever? And I, I have no idea. I really don't. I thought about it. And um, I'm sure if I booted up a Hitman right now, I'd probably have some better ideas sure. to give you. Um, may, I don't know, may, maybe vehicles actually would be one way, I suppose. Uh-huh. Or maybe making it like a little bit more... Um, well, if it was open world, that would be like a massive franchise first. I mean, they're definitely think, open world in the sense that it, like you'll be on one level and you can kind of go wherever you want as long as you don't mind getting shot at or caught or potentially killed or whatever. Mm. So they're open world in that sense, but it's just the level that you're currently playing. It's not, you know, like you exist in one big universe and you get missions and go from A to B kind of a thing. That would be that would be crazy and i would be really excited about that if they uh, were able to do something like that or even vehicles but i'm not quite sure how vehicles would be incorporated other than like getaway vehicles or or just simple transport from a to b i don't feel like vehicles necessarily are very conducive to a stealth game probably not Um, when you're driving around a vehicle it's not very stealthy you know (laughs) right yeah and so that doesn't give you a whole lot of options for vehicle incorporation unless it's like an escape vehicle or you know you're getting from where you received your mission to where you need to start your mission or something Mm. like that so that's i don't know that's all i got i um maybe new new creative weapons uh sure those are all yeah yeah 
possible. I mean, the, I, I'm not coming up with. See, this, I'm telling you, I don't have any original ideas. I this, well, no one has developer. original ideas. That's fine. That's the whole point. You gotta bring the unoriginal <laughs> ideas. Like you said, open world. That's a million dollar idea. It's not an original one, but it's the one everyone wants. Like I think I generally, that one would be crazy. That'll be my prediction. It'll be open world multiplayer game. It doesn't fit the franchise at all, but it's it's what they'll do. In my, in my oh, man, I don't know if I can get behind the multiplayer part, but we'll but we'll see. We'll see what happens in 2018. We'll see. Hopefully. take it uh from the top here well not necessarily from the top but um so first off starcraft 2 is going to become free to play which is kind of crazy uh and i'm actually kind of pissed about it i spent money on that and now it's free to play <laughs> but well but i mean what happens in the that, gaming world that means that starcraft will like what part of it becomes pay to play like if if a star right. if Starcraft becomes free to play, what what's gated behind purchases? Do you know what? There's certainly going to be something. I do know that, uh, for instance, the Wings of Liberty campaign and co-op mode will be playable uh, at no cost. Okay. So you could assume that everything outside of that will be gated behind something or other. But still, that's pretty sweet. Um. Although, to be honest, I'm not a huge fan of StarCraft 2. I loved number one, but number two I never really never really got behind. Um, yeah. And so, arguably Blizzard's most famous game ever, World of Warcraft. Uh, and I only say that because it's been around longer than Overwatch. Yeah. But uh, two big things are coming out for World of Warcraft. First of all, they're getting a new expansion, the Battle for Azeroth. And I, I read up on this a little bit, and it's going to sort of it's going to increase the level cap, and it adds two new continents, uh, some I think two new playable races that are not really a hundred percent unique. They're sort of offshoots of existing existing races, from what the developer was saying. So was, I think there's sort of like a new elf subspecies, and uh, I can't remember the other one, but. Um, they're also trying to bring back the dynamic from sort of the first couple WoW, that like the vanilla game and the first couple expansions, where it was very much Alliance versus Horde. Mm -hmm. They've gone sort of away from that with a few expansions, and now they're trying to come back towards it, um, I think, just to change it up and because they really, they really like that, and it's clear that fans really enjoyed the... Your alliance, I'm horde. Fuck you, no fuck you, kind of a thing. Mm, mm, so, and I and I really did like that. Um, and while we're talking about vanilla, World of Warcraft is finally going to get what they call WoW vanilla, or what officially is called WoW Classic, mm. World of Warcraft Classic servers. So you will be able to play the original, un what do you want to call it, unmodified, unexpanded, I guess. World yeah. of Warcraft on dedicated servers. I, I wouldn't know what to call it because I never played vanilla World of Warcraft or any version of or any flavor of World of Warcraft. But I know yeah. that this has been a point of contention for Warcraft players for a long time that they've been wanting this uh, right. a dedicated server for the original uh, iteration of World of Warcraft. And well, uh, yeah, 
and it gets interesting too because there's so there was a server for a long time that was um, maintained and developed by just a bunch of volunteers that was called uh, Nostalrius, and Blizzard actually shut them down sometime earlier this year. I want to say in the spring, maybe. And there was uh, that kind of blew up for a bit, and a lot of a lot of hardcore fans got really angry about that. Um, well, and now that this announcement has been made, Blizzard actually came out and said they, um, the, the guys at Nostalrius actually gave Blizzard a lot of the code that they used to do this and actually helped Blizzard, um, basically develop this, I guess, in a way. And they, and, and I guess some of the Blizzard employees actually played a couple raids with these Nostalrius guys on their server so they've they've really they've really tried it out and they're sort of working with Nostalrius a little bit, which I think is really cool. Um, yeah, Mike, I, I wonder I'd... if there's any other company in the world that could learn from this experience, wherein <laughs> creators <laughs> of fan games could possibly help the developers <laughs> create franchises that have been long awaited and they haven't been paying attention there's like Mm. almost no companies there's only like one company i can think of i can't remember their name anyway this is great because it sounds like uh yeah when nintendo yeah (laughs) so (laughs) earlier this earlier it was last year i think anyway uh another metroid remake Metroid 2 remake was a fan-made project and I won't vamp on right. this long. It was a fan-made project for Metroid 2, right? And it was a game that not a lot of people could access uh and because it wasn't available in any way that was legal because Nintendo mm-hmm. wouldn't make it available. So fans made remade the game and uh Nintendo would immediately shut them down. And there was a particularly detailed and dedicated very uh very robust remake of this game and Nintendo recently and Nintendo shut them down immediately upon them being up on the internet. And uh, obviously because it got a lot of traction because the media covered it. But anyway, it's uh, sad because Nintendo never produced something that could satiate players want for that kind of game, except they did this year. They came out with Metroid Samus returns, which I think is a remake of Metroid two. So mm-hmm. that's nice, but they didn't do give players what they wanted because they didn't know what players they specifically wanted from that game. A lot of people liked that game. A lot of people didn't. Vanilla World of Warcraft, they knew what people wanted because they've been hearing people talk forever about vanilla mode or vanilla mm-hmm. uh, servers. And then they hear from people who made a vanilla server fan-made server and spoke to them and worked with them and lo and behold they've got something and i mean we'll see if it's successful or if people like it but i swear that sounds like that sounds like it's pretty set to be very successful and to more likely than not satisfy the needs or wants of folks wanting a vanilla server you know yeah and it's it's an interesting thing these like um these feelings of nostalgia that want to that make you want to go back to these old these old games because I've had the opportunity to do that with some games recently. Like I'm a massive Bad Company fan, yes. and when it came up on Xbox backwards uh, compatibility a few months ago, I played a match of, of Bad Company two with my friends, and I rem- I played the shit out of that game online, and I loved it. Mm. And man, I tell you what, I booted that thing up and. 
I was amazed at how slow the pace of gaming was. Mm. And I couldn't, like, I had no recollection of it being that slow. And anyway, so the reason I'm, I'm bringing this up is because the, the devs that were interviewed by some of the, the games companies out there about this classic server, you know, they, they played with those Nostalrius guys for a bit. And it was interesting hearing the devs' observations about Vanilla WoW. They were sort of like, we had forgotten how slow it was. Like when you, you know, as a mage, when you would buff someone with intellect, you, every single time you did it, you'd have to then sit back down and drink a potion to get your mana back up, then buff someone else, then buff someone else. And I remember that now thinking back on it when I did these big raids, there would be periods of time where we would sit there for five or 10 minutes and all the players that had various buffs that needed to go on everyone would just sit there and buff 39 other people or 19 other people however many people were in your raid and then they sit down and drink wait for things to go back up again do it when you say sit down and drink it makes it sound like you just sit down like have a drink while you're waiting for something to replenish you know like you have a beer or something on the side that's what it makes right and i mean that i know what you mean yeah Yeah. but it is actually what it looks like their character would like literally sit down and be drinking a potion jeez and uh yeah, and, and they, they made some other observations, too, like Vanilla WoW was very grindy, they said. And I do remember it being I do remember it being a grind, but I guess I never played that far in the new expansions. And I think they've changed a lot of that. So I don't have this newer, faster-paced game to compare it to. Um, but anyway, it'll be interesting to see if other people have the same experience. Like, oh, shit, I remembered it being really cool. Mm. And now that I've played it, I actually don't like it that much. And I would prefer to play the current version yeah. or whatever. So yeah. it'll be interesting to see how people react to that. I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah. But either way, like you said, it's nice to see a company um, working with these passionate fans. Always. Always nice. Uh, so another part of BlizzCon, and this is a little bit more your wheelhouse than mine now that we're getting into, Joe, because I'm still somewhat of a Hearthstone and Overwatch noob, uh, at least in comparison to you. But uh, Overwatch is getting a, a new a new map, and it's sort of like, <laughs> this is actually kind of cool. It's like a Blizzard theme park, mm-hmm. which I think is pretty awesome. Um, it's getting a new hero, which sounds interesting it's a hybrid healer and dps character which should be which should i don't know it sounds fun it sounds it sounds really fun Mm -hmm. and then um there's also been a new short from reinhardt and i've seen a lot of people post about this and they say it's like a lot of people say it's quite sad and and like they i've actually seen people cry like watching this and i don't i mean that well the overwatch shorts always have that like pixar-esque heartfelt uh you know a story arc to them you know uh so this one is very similar i watched it it's great it's a reinhardt you know backstory and i love the overwatch shorts they all have kind of the same narrative thread to them they're all kind of selling mm-hmm. the same same type of origin story uh and if not the exact same then they're always of course based on some very generic uh you know hollywood-esque or origin story and this one is very much that right reinhardt was this uh boisterous uh cocky go-getter uh, young dude in an army called the Crusaders, and his leader yeah. was the more wi- wise, 
uh, peppered old man, Baldrick Vaughn. Peppered. Yeah. Hey, yeah. no, I've got some silver on my beard. Oh, I, like I'm right seeing now, it too. So, I'm growing the beard myself, you know, and like, I, I got more than I thought. But yeah, he's. Yeah, but, he, but he is that, and uh, he. It's obviously about the story of Eichenwalde, which is the uh, push the payload map based in Germany, and it's obviously the story of like, I uh, Baldrick saying you have to be more responsible and Reinhardt being like, I'm just young and dashing and want to have a good time. And then eventually mm -hmm. uh, the story, his character arc broadens and uh, changes. And, you know, yeah. it's a it's a great short. But uh, I also played Moira. Uh, we were getting into Did that. you? You played Moira? This I, is the new, this is the, the I PTR. forgot to mention the name. This is the new hybrid character. Yes, that so I the character Moira. is called Moira, and uh, she's pretty cool. I played it while it was she was in the PTR, so everyone's kind of focused on killing Moira whenever, or mm -hmm. killing whoever is being focused right now or being balanced. So right now, it's kind of a weird, contentious uh, spot to be in. Uh, the PTR because once you pick the character, people spam you with messages saying, "Give me more. I haven't played her, sir. I haven't played her." It's like, well, what do you, what do you think is happening, right? Everyone's trying to play, right. so I just wait until everyone has played her more. But I got to to play her alt. I got to play around with her abilities, and she's cool. What is There's her alt, a, by the her way? Her alt is this Kamehameha esque like uh, power beam that she shoots from her fists. And mm -hmm. it is just a direct uh, D like attack that emits a lot of damage if it's aimed towards enemies or mm -hmm. does a lot of healing if it's aimed towards friendlies. And you can turn on the spot while you're outputting this alt and hit friendlies or enemies and switch back and forth. And it's all the so same now, beam. So now, to understand this beam, is it like... Uh... Is it like if you're aiming it at someone, is it only going to hit that person? Because it sounds to me like yeah, it's, it's quite a pretty wide, wide, a wide it's beam a pretty wide cone of people. hit. So yeah, it's a wide cone of uh, like area of effect. So you can hit multiple of your friendlies. Uh, so it's a people, cone. It's not. It's not like widening out. People should just watch the video. It's like a, it's oh, okay. a direct beam, but it's a wide beam. But the video does okay. a very good uh, job of illustrating what Moira does okay. Uh, okay. and how the alt functions. It does take a bit of a learning curve, and I didn't play nearly enough. So we will be back with more impressions on Moira and uh, the map once the map comes out and things like that. But so far, she seems like an interesting character. I'm always interested in the new characters lately. Uh, I've never been disappointed by one. So far, except Anna, but everyone loves Anna besides me, so I'm obviously <laughs> wrong about that. But uh, it's cool to see more characters, and uh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. And she's uh, there's some new skins coming out for her too, or that you can you can check out the first skins for her. Excuse me. Yes, of course. Um, and actually, that's about it for Overwatch uh, at the moment. And now we're moving firmly into Joe's realm. And that is Hearthstone. There's a new expansion coming out for Hearthstone, and it includes a free new single-player mode. So that's about as much as I know. And I, I've i kind of given up, to be honest, on Hearthstone because it's just too... I, mean, we, I know we've talked about this before, sure. but it's becoming too much pay-to-win, and it's driving me nuts. Um, yeah. So I've kind of just given it up. Yeah, it's tough. You know, I have seen people play and uh, make it to legend which is the highest ranking uh in hearthstone right. that's blizzard's card battling game card collecting battler game by the way and uh it's a lot of fun to see 
people who are really good at the game make it to legend with free to play accounts, right? Accounts they haven't spent money on, but it's right. very, very difficult. And you have to have developed a keen sense of the game's rhythm and the game's metas and uh, ever changing meta. And you really need to be a seasoned player in order to make that uh, endeavor. And you Mike are not that unfortunately, because you're a new player. So it's very, right. very different for someone like uh disguised toast and you to make it to legend on a free-to-play account him it's possible you it probably isn't because you need to know the rhythms of the game more you know magic yeah. the gathering so you have a better shot at it but oh god i mean barely at like... some point at some point you have had to have spent money on a card collecting game right and that's unfortunate for me i remember playing the game when it first came out and when it wasn't didn't have any expansion, so it was just the base right. cards in it, and I had to pay mm -hmm. money to get enough cards to be competitive, and that's unfortunate. Uh, and it's only gotten worse. Uh, the last expansion, or the last two expansions, have gotten some criticism for being very, very expensive and very like you really need these legendaries and these epics in order to. Uh, progress at all into the much higher rankings and uh, if you're a good card player then you want to do that but you can't if, if you can't spend the money then you can't do it like i'm pretty good at hearthstone i've made it well past rank i've made it past rank 10 before and i can't do that now because i just don't spend enough money on it so that's unfortunate i once considered heavily spending my time covering the game but i'm concerned by how much money you need to actually invest and it's hard for me yeah, to suggest to people lot. and yeah it's hard to suggest to people you should buy you should buy into this game you should pay this much money because this game is that good the game is great but i mean i i don't approve of a game that requires such a heavy investment and i can't i can't recommend it to anyone anymore so it's hard to see it's nice to see something like a new dungeon mode like i'll play this this is a by the way, the single-player mode that Mike mentioned that's free is a dungeon run. And basically, it's uh, procedurally generated dungeons, uh, which are basically you're just running into eight bosses of 48 possible different encounters. And uh, you start with 10 cards in your pack, and they're just given to you through the game. They're not part of your collection. And you win more cards as you beat more bosses. And so the game is just totally self-contained. And that's very cool and interesting, and I'll play it. But it's also not at all progressing your collection except for the rewards mm. they'll give you, which will be meager because they want you to spend money. So it's, it's disheartening to see myself feel less and less excited with each expansion. This has been a great year for expansions as far as the design has been, but I can't recommend it to anyone anymore because it's so expensive. Like I wanted you to play yeah. it desperately. I wanted you to come on the podcast and I said over and over, you should play it, but this year I, has, did. I played a lot of yeah it, you you have and you've gotten nowhere right like you you haven't yeah. really created a substantial collection to go out and do real damage with and that's unfortunate. that's the thing that's frustrating about it yeah is that i feel like i put in i put in a pretty good amount and i was pretty consistent about it too i was playing like a couple days a week quite a few matches mm. um well yeah if you want to even have any kind of chance at ranking up you definitely gotta play more than that, because you got to get the daily quests. Now, Well, I realize that, but I was working towards the daily quests pretty often. Sure. And I was frequently getting them. 
and I was well, able you get them to every day. That's the thing. Few... The daily quests, you get them daily. So you got. Well, I know, but them. I was able to like I was able to frequently accomplish them. Sure. On 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 any given day, and I would do that a couple times a week, and I was able to buy a few um, uh, card packs, quite a few actually, and I did it all from. I think it's the original one that, that like never changes. Like when the new expansions come in and some of the old sure, cards the go away. Packs, yeah. I was buying the classic ones so that I would always have them. Um, and it just never seemed to make a bit of fucking difference. But I don't know. Maybe I maybe I need to boot it up again. I mean, look, I, we'll see. Uh, here's the thing. I'm addicted to Hearthstone. I'm not addicted to buying Hearthstone, but playing Hearthstone, right. I always come back to it. And And since I have a substantial collection it's always an option for me it's hard for me to mm. recommend to other people but i'm less passionate about getting people into it and uh towards covering it but it is still a very really great game it's based on some really great games that have been it well cultivated over is. the years so yeah. it's got great systems to it and they come up with constantly come up with interesting things so i like it but it's it, it's been a sobering year as far as the money factor is concerned that's all I can really say about it. I'm excited to see what they bring to this. There's some cool uh, mechanics being brought into it. A lot of the things they've shown off, though, so far are these ridiculously overpowered mechanics that only exist in the dungeon run system. So mm-hmm. that's like the you know single player doesn't become part of your collection. I'll be excited to see more of what they have uh, in the coming weeks before it comes out. So... We're going to move on to some non-Blizzard-related news now. And this one is... It seems like... this is. I feel like I've read stories like this too many times this year. um, Because it's another studio shutting down. And, uh, I mean, what was it, last week? Or the week before? We were talking about... um, A couple weeks ago, Visceral Games, yeah. uh, Visceral Games, thank you. That's the one, yeah. And I, I swear there was another one earlier this year too that I can't think of. Um, well, there anyway. was uh, Ma- it was Mass Effect Andromeda. Uh, it wasn't necessarily oh, shut down, right, yeah. but what's the company? Uh, Bioware, Bioware Montreal. Montreal got yeah, yeah they got they dispersed essentially. So they got yeah. essentially shut down. Yeah. Yeah. God, it, yeah, it's it's been a lot this year, and we've got another one now, unfortunately. So Ruinic Games company based out of seattle company i actually used to work uh one floor below when i was at seattle magazine um in the same building then there if you if you're not familiar with who they are they were never a huge studio but they uh were behind torchlight one and torchlight two and more recently a game called hob h-o-b and um torchlight really was quite popular on steam for a, a good amount of time and it sort of built itself as um, the successor to Diablo 2 that, as we all know, Diablo 3 took like 10 years to come out. Mm-hmm. And there was a long period of time where people were like, God, when are we going to get another Diablo that's really, really good that feels just like an extension of Diablo 2? And for a lot of people, that game was Torchlight 1. And... Um, a large part of that was because they uh, they actually advertised Torchlight. I remember this on Steam is saying that a large part of the, the the team behind Torchlight were former Blizzard and former specifically Diablo developers. Mm-hmm. So and the two games did feel quite similar, but in a good way. Like it was differentiated enough to feel like its own thing, 
But man, it was a really fun game to play. I loved Torchlight 1 and 2. They were just really, really fun Diablo-esque um, RPGs. A little bit more playful and goofy, not quite as sort of dark and devilish as the Diablo series, but still really, really solid games. And um, anyway, so Ruinic is being shut down by the company that acquired them, a Chinese-based developer called Perfect World. And uh, Perfect World also shut down another studio called Motiga not long ago. And uh, basically, they're saying that the two things are not related, that this is part of a comprehensive restructuring, and that Perfect World really wants to focus on games as a service, which seems to be the the line that we just yeah, continue hearing and that you and I have both yeah, yeah you and I have talked about that at length and it just seems to be going on and on and on here's the uh, in fact I'll just read the statement this is a statement that Perfect World made to Kotaku and they said quote Perfect World Entertainment recently closed the Seattle office of Ruinic Games as part of the company's continued strategy and here it is to focus on online games as a service um. And they sort of go on to say they're grateful for the work, blah, blah, blah. Its games will continue to be playable, blah, 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 you know, sort of. Yeah. It, whatever. It, this but, is the continuing. I have no uh, concept of Runic Games. I didn't even know they were around. Uh, I apologize to the many fans of Runic Games, Torchlight and Hob and all those games. I was never a Diablo <laughs> fan. So as a result, I never. Uh, this never picked up on my radar when a Diablo S game came out to fill that um, right. niche. But yeah, I the concerning factor here obviously is the games as a service uh, focus. Uh, there's nothing totally wrong with games as a service, right? We're not trying to bear down. We, I just want to make sure our listeners know we're not trying to bear down on like games as a service is the devil and the killer of games. But there's obviously this massive shift happening or at least from what we can tell uh from uh these any other types of games to games as a service games that are made to uh have to uh optimize longevity and lots of mm -hmm. gameplay time and lots of uh after purchase income right after initial purchase income and that kind of initiative doesn't always incentivize great design it moreover will incentivize profitable design uh with the least amount of effort right with the least amount of uh uh you know actual development time which creates uh, right. quality games um and it's troubling to see but it's also not necessarily this giant red flag like oh single player games are dead single player games are not going to be made anymore i mean that's silly we've had several highly successful single player games in these past few months this year you know zelda breath of the wild yeah. mario those games sold record-breaking numbers uh for nintendo specifically we saw Horizon Zero Dawn, which was a single-player-only game, and it's coming out with some DLC right now, and I guarantee you that DLC will do well, at the very least. And uh, the game itself did fantastic. That was a new IP single-player game, right? right. That is uh, unprecedented, and it was doing very well earlier this year when it first released. Uh, PlayStation announced figures and it, it communicated to us that this is uh, definitely not something to be avoided um 
So I don't think this is like this huge sign that single-player games are dead, that the old way of creating games and uh, developing games is over. I understand, though, the concern that everyone has, and seeing something like this only puts extra weight on that concern. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's sad. I uh, I don't know. I it, And it's not, to be fair, it's not just games either, actually. I know this is a little bit of a tangent, but other types of software are going that way too. I mean, I just got a reminder on my computer today that I need to renew my Office 365 subscription. Oh, sure, yeah. You know, how many years was it that you were able to buy Office or Word or just one or two of those programs and you would just own that? And, you know, they don't even, I don't actually think Microsoft even sells that stuff individually anymore. It's all subscription-based now. And I think Windows is supposed to go that direction. Uh, I know the Adobe suite is now that way. It's all subscription-based. It used to be, you know, you could buy the whole Adobe suite for a, a, a hefty lump sum, but still you owned it. Yeah. And now it's all, you know, oh, $20 a month or $60 a month if you want Premiere and Photoshop and something else or whatever. And so it's... It's it's all over the place. Um, yeah, I mean that's the and, model that games as a service is kind of I think adopting, right? That is essentially right. what they're trying to go for, and it is very uh, bespoke to the time. That is just what everyone's set to. Everyone's set to this monthly billing of electronic payments and not owning anything right. tangible. The difference here, specifically, and I'm obviously more biased to uh, this, is video games are in a sense art right and they don't all have to be artistic and have that drive right PUBG is one of my favorite games of this year and it's not this intense artistic endeavor it is a multiplayer military shooter where you go in or dropped into a world and kill everyone to be the last man standing that's the most masculine <laughs> like competitive insane thing I've ever heard not artistic at sounds all sounds like an expendable yeah, movie yeah, when you but, say it that exactly way. but I mean it's a fantastic game but anyway the point here is that there is also this realm where artistic games or artistry in games can exist uh, at varying degrees, and they can also be profitable, but they won't be they won't be given that shot for long if this massive shift is made uh, and kills all those games. However, I don't think that's right. going to happen, but anyway, yeah, it is a little different because, and again, I'm closer to video games, so I don't know whose lives are affected by say Adobe adopting this new, uh, subscription based service, but I imagine not nearly as many layoffs and cut cutoffs are being made at Adobe than say at, uh, Bioware Montreal or actual shutting down in EA studios like visceral or this with runic games, right? I don't know if that many casualties, uh, economic casualties are being made in these other realms of software. Yeah. yeah. You could be right. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and just to, you know, sort of add insult to injury, our next story is not necessarily related in terms of the company, but it's a, it's a, it's another sad story. Um, telltale games, so the makers of things like Tales from the Borderlands and the uh, they're they're a narrative based sort of point and click story driven games developer, and um, they've done all sorts of IPs: The Walking Dead, Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, what else am I forgetting? I know there's way more than that. Uh, uh, Batman, Tales of the Borderlands. You said already Batman. They Tales did recently, yeah. 
And then they have their uh, own the games. Wolf Among Us. Wolf Among Us is their yeah. own thing, sort of. Yeah, right. Yeah. And anyway, they're quite famous for these. And uh, it's just been announced that they're laying off roughly 25% of the company. So that that I did not appreciate how many people worked for this company. But that is about 90 employees. Mm-hmm. So that is a lot of people. Yeah. You know, and, I, I um, never knew generally how many people, but yeah, considering how many projects they take on at once, I always imagined they were a big company. But uh, yeah, that's that's quite a sizable layoff chain. Yeah. And this is something to me, at least. I mean, there's never I, I haven't seen like any um, protracted talk about people being concerned about Telltale Games. And in fact, the same article that I was reading here says exactly that. But I know that you and I and other people on the show have talked this year and I think even into last year about Telltale Games needing to do something differently. That their formula was starting to stagnate and that people were starting to get bored and like the games are just starting to feel kind of old and like they need to they need to improve things, they need to make like a new engine. It just needs to it just the whole thing just kind of needs a refresh, something different, something fun and and interesting. And I know we've talked about that and I uh they're saying that this is part of a restructuring, which of course is what any company would say with something like this. Um but it's hard for me to separate those two because I do feel like they have been stagnating and I do wonder if their popularity has been waning and we just don't know and that their sales are dipping and that we just don't know. It's hard for me to feel like this can't be related to that, but I don't have any way to prove that. Well, um, that's just it's all me. it's all connected, right? If you see that there are problems with the game and there's a pattern in a certain creator's product, like say Telltale's games then uh, you can assume that people are going to react to that. One way people react to us by not buying their games. I haven't heard anything right. specific that Telltale's been having trouble getting games off the shelves, uh, or, you know, so to speak. I think that, yeah, the quality of their games has been an issue. And not just necessarily the quality in, like, uh, the, the way they look, the way they function uh, mechanically. It's a little deeper than that. But before I get into all of that, yeah, if there's a quality issue and it's consistent and there's a pattern, then uh, you'll see problems like lackluster review scores and lackluster sales. Or you'll see a lot of uh, feedback that is very, very malicious because, you know, your games aren't functioning well or something's wrong. And then as a result, you'll have shifts in leadership positions, right? Which we saw earlier. Yeah, which uh, we did, And yep. then after that, you see big shifts in a company, and that's what we're seeing right now. And, I, and it, really, it all sounds really, pretty... Con- yeah, it sounds all pretty conducive right. to a narrative we've heard before of a company. Right, that- it feels like they have to be related. Like we said, we don't know for sure, but it's pretty hard not to draw that logical line from one thing to the other to the other to where we are right now. Yeah. So, so, so none of this is surprising. Uh, I wonder if any of it could have been avoided. If, like these people could have been saved their job, had their job saved, or leadership didn't have to change if these changes weren't made earlier. Like we we saw early on, at least I saw early on that Telltale was spreading themselves too thin. They took on lots of projects, lots of different IP. Game of Thrones was another IP. I don't know if we oh, mentioned yeah, that. Yeah. Like just, yeah, yeah, we they did. made tons <laughs> of games and they made several multiple seasons of those games and those games are being made 
as they come out, like they, they make a portion of the game, release it, make another portion of the game, this episodic format. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it, that sounds like a very precarious, very spinning the plates kind of company, you know, and that doesn't sound sustainable. So it's understandable that a company is making this big shift saying we are going to push this new initiative for higher quality games. That's great. That's fine. But uh, I wonder if that shouldn't have come much sooner. And yeah, yeah. I mean, you got to wonder, like maybe if uh, I don't know, take take off any one of those games that we've talked about and take those people that were working on it and have them develop a new engine Mm. or something like that. Because that was one of the big complaints was that the technology just felt old and it was aging for a lot of people. And maybe, maybe, I mean, we don't know. Maybe they have been doing that and it just didn't go well or something else went wrong. Or hopefully at least they're doing that now. I thought I heard that uh, Batman was running on a new proprietary engine from them. I don't, maybe I'm wrong, but... Uh, also it's an engine shift is a big thing, right? We've, we've been hearing a lot of stories. We've been hearing a lot of stories recently about how that can completely change the progress pace of a company, right? You have people who have been working with unity for 10 years. Well, it's not that old, but they've, they've been working with unreal for 10 years. And then all of a sudden they have to work with frostbite and they have no idea how it works. Right. So right. that's often why layoffs happen. They have all these people who are who specialize in one engine and they're bringing on a new engine. So these guys aren't going to be very useful to us. So let's bring out some new people. That's very often the case. Or it's just cuts because of, you know, profits are down, what have you. So it could be anything. But I think that that is not the only issue. Like th- this has been the issue that I've brought up, right, that I've brought up with. Uh, on the podcast along with a couple of other editors. But I think that the issue with Telltale's games are much deeper. Like people who like Telltale games buy more Telltale games. But then once they do that, I think they start to see through the cracks and not just the technical aspects and the graphical fidelity, but the actual uh, story, like the actual narrative threads of those games and the way those games stories and choice functions are constructed in case anyone doesn't know telltales games are always based on this system of choices narrative choices your character makes and how those choices unfold and what they what the repercussions of those are later the conceit is that each story feels tailored to your experience however very often most more people have realized that those choices don't make much of a difference in the story you always go through the same story beats and you start to notice that very, very visibly when you play more games. Like I played Walking Dead right. and I loved it and I thought it was great. Played Walking Dead Season 2 and I immediately started seeing, okay, these are the cracks in the, in the, in the game here. And this I'm starting to see behind the curtain. And also like actual storytelling problems and like character writing problems. And then that's just all results of spreading too thin probably. But I think that the core issue is much more deeply rooted than, say, just a not-so-well-functioning engine. However, if you have that, then that's a huge problem and needs to be addressed. But I am now interested to see, like, are they actually going to change their fundamental uh, philosophy behind these games? Like, is it going to start creating a new path for Telltale? Or are we going to see the same thing? 10 different games announced for one year and they all follow the same kind of narrative beat 
or are we going to see something new from them? And I hope it's something new. It sure better be. Yeah. I mean, if they're having to lay off 25% of their workforce, you would, you would be hoping for something new. A change, a change I think is in order. So yeah, let's hope that's where it goes. I um, hope so. And, uh, so we're going to move on to our final story of this week. Like I said, it was a, it was a, it was a pretty news intensive week, surprisingly. Yeah. Um, and we're actually talking about a little known developer. This is actually the first time I've heard of them, but you apparently have, have encountered them before. It's a Finnish developer. And I think I'm pronouncing this right. It's not spelled housemark, but it's not quite, housemark. but I think it's pronounced housemark. Yes. And, um, basically they had quote lackluster sales of, uh, of a, of a game that they developed called next Machina. Is that how you say next that? Machina? I think next Machina, sorry, next Machina. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, so they're saying from here on out, they will no longer be making arcade games, which, which is there. Sad. Yeah, they yeah. say is that that's their brother. There's actually a, right. There's a quote from their CEO whose name I'm not even going to bother to try to pronounce because he's Finnish and I've actually met Finnish people now living in London. Yeah, sure. And let me tell you what, when you see a Finnish word or a Finnish name, you, and you want to sound it out in English, don't even bother because you just butcher the shit out of it. Like that right there, I want to say that one way and it's probably just embarrassing to even read it. So I'm not going to read it. But anyway, CEO of Housemark said, and this is a quote, quote, for more than 20 years, we've been carrying the torch for arcade. However, despite critical success and numerous awards, our games just haven't sold in significant numbers. Now it's time to move on to new games Lackluster sales of next, what is it? Next Machina? Machina probably. Like Deus Ex Machina, next, sort of. Deus Next yeah, Machina. Okay. Um, lackluster sales of Next Machina have led us to thinking that it's time to bring our long-standing commitment to the arcade genre to an end. So there you go. Yeah, that is, that, uh, it's, it's funny hearing an announcement like this. Like normally they just make that decision uh, on the right. inside and then just, here's our next game and it's totally different. Right. Or right. you say something a little more, uh, like a PR, uh, a PR consultant would probably tell you, let's make it a more positive view. Like we're, our next game is going to have this new type of gameplay focus. It's not normally like we're quitting arcade games cause you don't want to buy arcade games. But like, it's sad news for me just because I liked their games. I liked Resogun Unlocked. I liked Stardust, uh, Super Stardust Ultra, and those games. They're all arcade mm-hmm. games. They used to all be, or almost all of them used to be, uh, PlayStation exclusive games. And that's why you've probably not uh, run into them. Next Machina was a not an exclusive. I had that on Steam. And that's a great game. It's very much formatted based on Resogun. So if anyone's a Resogun fan, I strongly suggest you pick up Next Machina. The format is very similar to Resogun, but instead of uh, being on this wheel uh, and in a ship, you're, it's like a twin-stick shooter. Anyway, the point is they make these great, highly polished, really gameplay-intensive games. And they're just they're they're fresh and excellent. I happen to think that arcade games are like, if you create a arcade game that's fun and rewarding and paced well and difficulty then i think it's a perfect game like there's no problem with the game right so uh that's why i love them but maybe we're just in they a do time generally feel pretty faultless when they're when they're done well sure yeah because there's no narrative to like bring it down right and that's a whole other right. ludo narrative 
problem thing that everyone can talk about in the reddits and forums or whatever but anyway the point is that these games felt perfect but and they are received very well by the critics like they say but it sounds like people aren't buying them they fault things like say playstation plus and xbox uh games with gold because they don't get sales that way but i always assumed that those companies were compensated for those deals that people would download the games but xbox or playstation would pay up front in order to have their game featured as a playstation plus game so i i don't know if that's the right way to word it that like oh people expect these games to be free but yeah games are not it's unfortunate games aren't valued anymore and especially games like this aren't valued but maybe that's just a sign of the times right games with the service super budget open world RPG horizon zero dawn games, right? Those, those are the games that sell right now. And, or these cute little indies that are, have cool art styles and, uh, charming stories. Right. Exactly. Those are the games that sell now. And maybe arcade games just don't have a place anymore. These guys were the only ones doing it anyway. So chances are that's the truth of the matter. I mean, they may come back, you know, there's always, I hate, to, I hate to say this, but there's always the mobile market. And I mean, there is no nope, phone, yeah. phones, phones are honestly a great place for arcade games because they can absolutely handle arcade games in terms of graphics and performance and everything. And arcade games are meant to be something that's easy to pick up and easy to put down, easy to get into. You don't have to narratively focus on anything. Like there's no, like you said, there's not usually much of a story to mess it up or maybe there is but it's kind of simple and easy to follow yeah and they're just supposed to be like arcade games to me are kind of the definition of casual gaming sure casual but fun and enjoyable gaming and that to me as much as i love to hate on mobile games that's kind of how i picture mobile games casual easy simple games i definitely agree with obviously they differ greatly in quality yeah like there are some that are just fucking garbage oh yeah it's totally a dumpster bin of of shovelware and then the best of the best right but more far more the former than the latter but yeah yeah, there's a lot of dumpster but there's plenty of room on that there's literally infinite room on the mobile space for games like this and how you market it that's another question how you sell it that's a whole other question but I mean, yeah, I think that's a great idea. However, unless they see reason to believe that there's that arcade games have a space that's popular and people are buying those games, if they don't see the data for that, then I can understand them not making the move to mobile. I would love to see a mobile game that that incorporates mobile, you know, uh, input like actual touchscreen-based input into a Housemark game. I think Housemark would make a great mobile game. But their move is going to be we're making some other type of genre. And I'm interested to see what that is as well. They make great games, so I don't imagine they would make a bad other game. Although they don't have experience in those other genres, I don't know what this, I don't know how to take this. You know, like maybe you just, they just shouldn't have said anything at all and come up with a game in the next three to five years, you know, but it is, it is an odd thing. Yeah, you're right. It definitely feels like most companies would just move on to the next game and, 
just make a policy like, hey, we're not making these games anymore, but we're not going to tell anyone about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Like, this 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 comes off, and this I, this is probably not the case, but this comes off as like this bitter, like, well, we're not going to make you anymore arcade games. And, it does, yeah. It almost comes off as like this drama queen diva shit. Like, you guys, god damn it, you weren't buying enough yeah. games. We're not going to do this anymore. Yeah, Fuck yeah, you. exactly. And I'm, I'm sure that's not what was intended. <laughs> but, I mean, that's, you know, that's the problem with messaging. You got to know what you're trying to say and why you're trying to say it. Like, what's the point of telling right. us this besides faulting or, <laughs> I mean, I don't know what the point is. So right. yeah, I, I, I'm excited to see whatever they have to offer and I hope it goes really, really well. That's all I'll say. Best of luck to the Finnish developer Housemark. I am here along with our lead editor, Amy K. Purcell. K., how are you doing? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Of course. Anytime. And we are also joined by our executive producer, manager, and editor at large, Mike Dunn. But Mike, I, I'm a little concerned about your title here because we spoke earlier in this podcast about editor at large and how the title works and me and mike pierce are, con- are believing that i am the editor at large when he's hosting and on days that i'm hosting he's editor at large so how do you rationalize your your title specifically oh well it's simple i outrank both of you <laughs> <laughs> that sounds well, like a winning argument that yeah <laughs> we put it right to bed right there perfect so you guys have been nice enough to talk to me tonight uh about some video games we're going to talk about mario we're going to talk about wolfenstein and uh some call of duty but before all that we have some scoops to go over uh mike pierce and i went over the news earlier in this podcast however we skipped one crucial story that i was unaware of and it is a specific um debacle that is being induced by nintendo nintendo games and review copies and youtubers so the story currently is that Pokemon Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon were leaked. These games leaked and were, for a time and possibly now, uh, you guys will obviously correct me, available on the internet for downloading illegally. And this game is a obviously uh, an anticipated game, even though it's technically a game that's been released, but it's a, it's like an expansion no, 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 of the no, no. game. This I forget is, how it works, no, no, these Pokemon this games. This is part two. Sure. This is a completely new game, completely new Pokemon well, a whole new set of okay. new Pokemon, completely new story. Okay, so black and white, black to white to situation. Exactly. Okay, so more Pokemon sequel on the rise, and it is now available to the public illegally. And uh, the way this came about was Nintendo had made the game available early to YouTubers who are as uh, followers of games media will probably know today's in today's day and age, they are the influencers who are often given uh, exclusive rights to playing early copies of video games and uh, advertising those games via YouTube or Twitch or what have you in order to uh, develop some hype for the game. And as a result, of course, one of these YouTubers has leaked the game and now it's available. And then following that, correct me if I'm wrong again, Nintendo recently uh, foreclosed on all review copies. They said that they won't be uh, they won't be 
giving out review copies anymore to media or to to news outlets, which is very confusing. So guys, why don't you run me through what is actually happening right now due to this Pokemon leak? Nintendo has a leak problem, rather like the White House. (laughs) Not a political podcast, but we'll get there. We'll get there eventually. But yeah, obviously you're national security. So yeah, you're referring obviously to, well, Pokemon, I mean, Nintendo having a problem with leaks uh, is not a new scenario to even this year or even this, these past couple generations. Nintendo has always been a company that has had information released uh, prior to their wishes, and uh, it's nothing new to the company, but it's that's nothing n- new. But now they're having entire blockbuster games hitting the internet weeks before the actual game come out. It happened with Pokemon Sun and Moon, happened with Super Mario Odyssey, uh, it happened with Mario and Luigi, which was a port of a port, if I'm correct, yeah. <laughs> and now Ultra Sun and Moon. Uh, that doesn't come out until the 17th the 21st doesn't come out till the 21st it's already on the internet of course if you do illegally download it which we do not encourage nintendo will probably ban your entire 3ds unit from any social play which sucks yeah and that's obviously (laughs) that sucks to have done but it sucks to be downloading games illegally especially prior to that but the problem is this wasn't like you said it wasn't a problem before uh, information about video games and about video game consoles and what have you, that has been an issue for Nintendo forever and probably always will be because they're a high-profile company. But well, it's issues for a com- lot. Games coming out, that's an issue that, from what I can tell, is uh, brought upon themselves because they're distributing these games early to YouTubers. So uh, now, what are the re- repercussions of that? Our review copies are not being distributed uh, in a timely matter or even at all to uh, media outlets because that's that's concerning because obviously uh, anyone who's followed Gaming Trend or read Gaming Trend and several other uh, news outlets uh, probably know that Nintendo has been very good about review copies prior to this year uh, from what I can tell. And now this is... So this makes this kind of an unprecedented issue. So is this specifically because of the YouTube influencer movement right now? Is that what you guys are seeing here? Yeah, what basically the way what what looks like happening what what looks like what is happening is that um Nintendo decided they were going to give preferential treatment to these YouTuber influencers. They they created a whole new program around it. And um uh, you know, not not necessarily a bad idea, but it's kind of blowing up in their face because, unfortunately, a lot of these YouTube influencers are also um, uh, pretty young and 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 I don't know. In some some of them are in in some ways kind of anarchistic in nature, right? They 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 kind of feel like they can do whatever they want. Mm. And um, and so what we're seeing is is we're seeing a few a, a few bad seeds just kind of taking that approach, doing whatever they want, leaking it out, leaking out information, leaking out entire games, whatnot. And 
the the thing that's the most disturbing about it, Nintendo, uh, typical of their reactions to this sort of thing, uh, have taken a a somewhat indiscriminate approach and um, penalized everybody. <laughs> Not just the, the the people in the YouTube uh, community that that they were trying to foster, but um, but also to press outlets, uh, you know, every everyone from the big ones like IGN and GameSpot to uh, you know the middle tier and the lower tier sites like like ours and and others. And it's even more funny because they're trying to like punish people for leaking this, but the people that leaked it already had their copies. So they're restricting yeah. access from the people who, from the outlets that didn't do anything. And there's zero penalty on the YouTubers who have already got their 15 minutes of fame. Cause they were the first to leak this video, this game. And, uh, then the outlets get nothing. Or well, I, I think it, that, yeah, I think the ban affects the YouTubers in a commensurate manner. I think that them, uh, I'm sure also they may have internally uh, had, uh, you know, they, they've managed the situation with these YouTubers, whoever did leak these games themselves, if they are identified, right, then th- like right. that, then I think they probably handled it. So I think their punishment was probably commensurate and uh, was uh, held out. But I think, yeah, I absolutely agree. This is definitely an issue when you're giving out the review copies, obviously to folks like YouTubers and people far before you give it out to, uh, out news outlets and the news outlet people. I mean, uh, in my two or three years working in games media, I've known, uh, most places to be highly, uh, I, I, everyone is obviously uh, respecting Nintendo's IP and not leaking anything or discussing and always adhering to non-disclosure agreements and embargoes. So yeah, it seems a little uncalled for to have this blanket statement. Uh, don't want to say punishment, but reaction to this issue. And uh, this talking about YouTubers and uh, their nature, uh, obviously like uh, an admitted generalization to say like they're these young, like anarchistic people, but that's definitely a lot of them. There is uh, like anyone who watches YouTube sees that uh, nature in some of these, um, in some of these YouTube personalities, right? These are a lot of folks, very often kids, uh, very often one man shows uh, or one person shows rather uh, people who are just producing, creating and hosting the shows themselves. And so it's all about their personality. And very often the best personality to sell is an edgy one that doesn't care about the rules and says F you to the man. And this could easily be that kind of ploy. So, so yeah. So let me, let me, let me bring up a couple points. One, um, I, I can I can speak specifically for gaming trend in that I've been here for over a decade. Um, that uh, it took us a very long time to get uh, into Nintendo's good graces. They are very picky with with they they've traditionally been very picky with who they work with on the media side, and uh, it took us several years for us to kind of prove ourselves enough to where they they get they got us an end and, and it's only been within the past handful of years that uh that we have been as as tight with them as as we are now um so there's that and, and then 
another thing that I think is playing into this whole YouTuber situation is Nintendo's approach to uh, their their policy on streaming and uploads and claiming um, claiming the uh, the monetization of these streaming videos and uh, let's play videos and and whatnot that this group that they have fostered um, basically makes their living with. So I, I, part of me is wondering if if uh, if some of these these folks are kind of uh, getting getting back at Nintendo for that policy. I don't know. I could be wrong. It it, uh, it fits the narrative, right? It definitely it, it really like does. It. Yeah. I mean, that's it. And, and I mean, that's kind of their MO, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Nintendo has been certainly has now created uh, a certain level of infamy for their, the way they have like always been gated about all of their property and they have every right to be, but now YouTube, there's this new, uh, world of ethics that we haven't really uncovered yet and unpacked. And we're seeing tons of issues outside of Nintendo, right? Uh, right. Like, like a couple of weeks ago, we had a story about um, Firewatch's developers uh, filing lawsuits against a YouTuber for using their content as like an ulterior motive to getting back to that YouTuber for being... Uh, unsavory in some manner right like there's this new it's like the wild west in youtube so there's it's hard to criticize a company as large as nintendo especially being such a gated and very protective company as nintendo uh for how they handle youtube since youtube is such this like unwieldy uh force and community and culture now that like we really don't understand yet but at the same time uh when that uh, new trepidation for this new Wild West affects uh, folks like us who, as Mike, you've said, I've not been with you guys for a long time, but for Gaming Trend, having developed this good rapport with uh, Nintendo and goodwill with Nintendo to all of a sudden have this knee-jerk reaction affect us, I don't think that's very fair. Uh, mm-hmm. But again, you know, I, I'm not heading a multi-million dollar company, so it's hard for me to judge at the same time. But yeah, it's a uh, fascinating to see some like such a fast reaction to something like this, and for this to be a new problem, right? Games leaking now, this new digital world—it's pretty fascinating to see. So uh, I'll be fascinated to see how they handle it. How do you guys think it should be handled uh, to wrap this story up? Okay, uh, what do you think? You know, it, it's tough. Um... I'm still always, you know, when I do reviews, they give us embargo dates and I'm always incredibly entertained that like your review, your written review, anything written cannot go up before this date, but you can post video two weeks before, you know, you can say exactly what you would say in the written. So long as it's in a video, you can post it, Um, which is very funny to me how video and written word are being treated in very different ways. Mm. Um, and part of me understands it in that they want to build hype. Um, so it, it's a tricky thing of you do want to build hype. You do want to get people excited. Um, so, you know, I feel like we live in a world of demo copies and limited, you know, um, when I when I was reviewing Battle Chasers, 
they had a beta copy out. And if you backed it, you could play the beta up to a point and then it was gated after that point. And maybe Nintendo needs to consider doing that with YouTubers where no, you, you can't have the game to the very, very end. You can have the first couple hours. And if they get out the first couple hours, maybe, you know, maybe the data miners can get into that and pull all the info, but at least the game isn't going to be out there in the wild in its completion. I don't know though. That's, that's what I got on the spot. Yeah. So I think, I think, well, two, two things. One, I think, uh, if if they're going to treat uh, the YouTube community and the uh, um, the Nintendo Creators Program, as they call it, differently than the media outlets, uh, then they should be punished <laughs> differently, <laughs> or or we should be excluded from their missteps. Um, I, I I honestly think that Nintendo's approach towards YouTube and that group, the, those people, uh, the people, the YouTubers and, and their creators program, I think it's a mess. Um, I think they they need to really kind of take that back to the drawing board, rethink it, and um, and put and and put some responsibility on those guys. Uh, for for you know getting that early access and um, uh, and, and and kind of spell it out and make sure that everybody's on the same page because I think that's part of the problem they kind of uh, it's kind of confusing yeah. um, it's probably confusing for the YouTube folks uh, you know what they can or can't do and and I think they really just need to to kind of clarify that get everybody on the same page um, and make sure that that they keep the other outlets in the loop as to to how everybody gets treated in this situation. I think I think communication is is a big part of this. I mean, and- that's I think that would be a great uh, thesis for every Nintendo pre-release package, just for everyone, not yeah. just YouTubers. I mean, I'm sure yeah. you guys yeah. have seen a pre-release package for Nintendo in your day. It's like the most obtuse language and rule sets that they create. So it's it's comical sometimes. So I think yeah. if they're listening, they should consider that for everyone. But uh, right. I'm sure they did uh, lay it out in front of these YouTubers. Uh, if they didn't, that's an insane misstep. Uh, but yeah, I can't imagine that they didn't because they've always been so protective. So I think that well, it is partially that nature of YouTube, like we were talking about. Again, an assumption made about uh, a very general, very widespread audience of uh, creators, but not an audience, but a culture of creators. But I think that is a very good portion of it, that they're, it's much more personable and uh, direct instead of... Uh, company speaking to company, right? Corporation to corporation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's also YouTube is still very much the wild West and it's not only Nintendo in this. So um, touching on something also a little bit controversial, but Disney signed an almost open ended deal with PewDiePie and Disney is traditionally one of the most protective companies, possibly more so than Nintendo about their IP. Mm. At least they were not too long ago. They've loosened up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, they realize there's money in crossovers. And they just basically handed PewDiePie a contract and said, talk about our stuff and we don't really care what you say. And until everything blew up with PewDiePie, they really they gave him complete editorial rights on everything. 
Sure, yeah, because that's what how he functioned, right? So that's probably right. what's a demand on his part. But uh, to to bring that up, their their reaction was probably more uh, commensurate to what the offense was, right? Because PewDiePie right. Uh, said some offensive language and was saying unsavory things on YouTube. Nintendo, uh, excuse me, Nintendo Disney pulls out from YouTube from uh, PewDiePie saying, instead of saying, we are banning all of YouTube to ever use Disney content ever, right? Like, that's that's not what they did. Yeah. They focused that, the issue to the person that yeah. was, and, and yeah. I'm not trying to make it a, par- a comparison between these two. I'm just trying to say YouTube and how you handle YouTube and how you let YouTubers use your content is the Wild West. Yeah. No one knows how to do it yet. Everyone is still figuring out contact contracts, details, and just the idea that Disney is willing to just hand someone complete editorial rights over their games is crazy. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the other side of this is Nintendo is actually not probably the most out there right now. When it no, comes definitely to not. Culture. No, they are still the most conservative company in there, yeah, even yeah. like especially when it comes to YouTube, you know, the way that they uh, hold on to monetization like Mike was talking about before. Yeah, they are the most conservative out there. And that is... Th- Absolutely, they're right, right? I, I, I don't uh, criticize them for doing so. Uh, it is definitely within their rights to do so. Although, you know, the thing is that we could get into a whole thing about how Nintendo handles YouTubers and monetization because there are problems with how they do it. Again, so we won't get into that. It is their right, however, to try and control their IP. And uh, I, I just think that this was a knee-jerk reaction and probably will be resolved more um, in a more focused manner in the weeks or months to come. the latest in the Super Mario franchise, and more specifically, the series of 3D Mario games uh, from the same creators of Super Mario Galaxy and Super Mario 3D World, which is the most recent game from this team. Uh, It is a return to the style of, say, Super Mario 64 and Super Mario Sunshine, as Nintendo has said over and over again. And in my opinion, it's a fantastic game. We have a review up for Super Mario Odyssey. Alicia de Gracias was the reviewer of this game. I contributed in small part to this review as well. And we were both huge fans of the game. And we called it a masterpiece and gave it a perfect score. 100, a phenomenal game, though it's not a perfect game. Uh, Kay, however, you've been playing the game and you hate Mario. You think it's a terrible game and you're so ready to bash on this game. Tell me why you hate Mario so much. Well, I have fond memories of Mario because I grew up, I remember getting our original NES and Mario was the most mind-blowing game. And I played Mario games, everyone that came out and was so frustrated but was so determined until Super Mario RPG came out. Mm Mm-hmm. And ironically, it was Super Mario RPG that taught me that I don't really like Super Mario games. (laughs) (laughs) I like RPGs. I don't like platformers. And it wasn't until that game that it dawned on me. Um, Now, I was lucky and I got to play 
Odyssey at E3. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to go all the way to the top of the Nintendo booth, and I had two handlers who were telling me how to play, and it scratched that open world itch, and it was that Super Mario RPG world that I was ready to get lost in again. And then I didn't, I was, I was the crazy person who didn't buy it the moment it came out and I was playing my friend's copy and we were in the luncheon kingdom and that's when I realized it's still a platformer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. If Mario is still about jumping on things and trying to get from A to B in a way via acrobatics and, uh, and you cannot walk in a straight line, no matter what you do. I mean, what you do is you hold the joystick to in a straight. No, I I understand <laughs> he can be sometimes a problem, but I I mean I've been a huge fan of 3D Mario games all my life. Uh, I grew up playing 2D Mario games. Uh, briefly, uh, I was playing uh, NES and Super NES, the Mario games there, and uh, but they were all through friends or a cousin specifically. And then my first console was N64, so obviously a big part of my video game upbringing was Super Mario 64. And that's one of my favorite games of all time. And this game very much controls similarly to that game. So I was already in a disposition to love this game. Uh, The format's also similar to that, but you mentioned open world. So uh, what I'm getting is that you were coaxed into playing this game and tricked, bamboozled into playing it by (laughs) believing it's an open world game. Now, Alicia was writing this review and I looked it over and he called it an open world game several times and I shunned him for it and I, I um, reprimanded him for it, but I'm hearing open world over and over again. So it, Kay, it could you feels tell? like yeah. it. Okay. It feels like there's these big open areas and you're supposed to explore. And the more you f- go, the more you'll find. And that's true to a very real extent there. It's really, really cool in that the more you explore, there's treasure hidden over here and there's these hidden boxes and there's moons for you to find. Um, it's still definitely levels. There's still definitely levels that you beat, but it, it feels, it's definitely much more open world than the Mario's that I grew up with. Sure. Yeah. Um, it's definitely as- not specific stages, uh, completely self-contained. They are similar though. Like the kingdoms are essentially these stages that, contain multiple stages in themselves but you can like jump about them at at your own will so yeah i can see that and i i got i started drooling and got so excited for this game when i was at e3 and my handler said to me and it was the most beautiful thing i'd ever heard about a mario game she said this game is about the journey not the destination Mm -hmm. well that's very true so it I don't know is. how it failed you. It is. It is so that. I mean, that's a an awful cliche, but it's absolutely true. <laughs> Such it really, that, great marketing speak. Oh my I god! Know. Ah. So you you should have heard all of the hat and cap puns that she oh. threw at me for oh, twenty yeah. minutes. Oh, see, straight. that would be cool. I'd like. Yeah. <laughs> Mike's okay with that. Yeah. She's yeah. like, you capture him. That was quite the hat <laughs> trick. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> No, it's that's it kept going. It didn't end. It's funny um, you say that because, like, that is actually as cliche and painful as that might be. That's actually like the core truth to this game. Mm-hmm. That it's about actually getting from point A to point B and enjoying that. Like every moment that you're moving in this world and doing all your crazy jumps, and that's really what it's about. Then it is enjoyable and it's fun and then if you're not doing those mario's standard super mario 64 moves 
and all that, then you're capturing other creatures and you're exploring these new worlds that are bespoke to these creatures' abilities. And often those creatures are uh, characters that you've fought against in other Mario games, like Goombas and Cheap Cheeps and the little lava things that probably have a name that I don't know their name. But Big like bullets. You- yeah, right. So you play as everything in this game, and it's fantastic. And every stage and every kingdom is designed around that thing's abilities. And that's very Mario, actually. Like, Mario always would get super, like, power-ups. And now the power-ups instead are replaced by these characters. But it's just so much more interesting that way. And there's so much more variety that way. And that is, by itself, the reward of the game. And all these moons, I was speaking uh, to some uh, Gaming Trend staff earlier this week, and the moons like that you're collecting, you're just collecting them. They don't do anything except progress the game. And a lot of collectathons, that's how they work. And others, they serve a function. Like in Metroidvanias, you're collecting things in order to get new superpowers. And in other games, you're like upgrading your abilities and your skill points or whatever. But in this game, you're just collecting these things and they don't do anything except progress the game, but you want to progress the game because every moment of it is fun. So I'm sorry, Kate, but it is absolutely true. The journey is what it's about in Super Mario Odyssey. And that's what that is. If So there's a there's a saying that you can you know how much someone loves Star Wars by how much they hate the prequel trilogy. Sure. How that how that love can turn to hate. Yes, that's yeah. that's where I am with this game because there are elements of it that I love so much, and I want nothing more than to love this game. Mm. And then I hate playing parts of it so much that I can't. Well, platform. If you're not going to like platformers, you are not yeah. going to like this no. game because there's so much platforming happening. There's so much platform. I remember what? there was. If anyone has played Super Mario RPG, there was this part in the sewer where you had to jump these three like platforms where the camera turned mid jump. Mm. And every time I had to go through that, I hand, I'm like, Drew, I have to go through the sewers. Hand it to my brother. Get get me through this. Play this part, Drew. Yeah, I'm yeah. not doing it. <laughs> so that's well, where I well, am. Well, that's I one thing. I definitely, I definitely hate that. I definitely don't like platforming uh, stitched onto a game that doesn't have that as part of the core game, right? Like if platforming just randomly comes up in a game, generally, I'm not a fan of that. Uh, but this game, when it's just all predicated on jumping from thing to thing and and trying to circumvent uh, crazy obstacles with all of your abilities or whatever. That's that's my bread and butter right there. Uh, so I'm sorry, Kay, that you don't love pure joy and you just hate all good things. But uh, I, I have to say Mario's a great game. But I'm sure you, you have plenty of good reason to not like the game. That uh, is one of the best descriptions I've ever heard of me. No, so no. <laughs> I joke, I joke, I joke, I joke. Mario. So yeah, I, I haven't played it yet, um, yeah. but I have no but doubt in my opinion. mind. I have no, yeah, exactly. I have no doubt in my mind. I'm going to uh, purchase it for one of my kids for Christmas, and then steal it back from them, um, <laughs> and and basically tell them they can't play this, or ground them or something. I don't know. I'll figure it out. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You gotta wait for that right moment when they get I that just, bad you know, grade, I, and then that's the, that's your week. <laughs> I, I just don't have time to play it right now. I thought for sure it was going to be the second game I bought for the Switch. That's true, um, yeah. But, uh, uh, well, actually, technically, I haven't bought a second game yet, so... Uh, yeah, it still yeah. be. I'm still... But I, I, I am playing two other games on the Switch. Yeah, you, you're you not playing that. 
be Mario yeah. because you're so busy playing literally every other game that's come <laughs> out in the past like month. So yeah. while yeah. while we then, t- yeah. oh god, the next few weeks are still just oh god. Yeah, you know it's after the. There was the video game apocalypse, and I'm only going to be playing two of the three games that came out on that day, Mario, Wolfenstein, and Assassin's Creed. I thought that was it, but, you know, we still have so many games. We had uh, this Doom Switch port. We have, uh, what's it called? We still have a bunch of games that I haven't played that came out weeks before, but we have Call of Duty. We have Battlefront. We still have some games that we have to get through. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. But anyway, yeah. you've played uh, several games over the past couple weeks. Uh, one of them you reviewed, and that yep. is Call of Duty World at War. So uh, No, no, no. World War II. World at, there's a World at War game, though. Remember yeah, that. Sorry. That okay. Was, that was 10 years ago. <laughs> We're going to make an edit. We're going to make an edit. <laughs> Call of Duty World at War. Incorrect. So yeah. that was 332. <laughs> so, Mike Dunn, you reviewed the game called call of duty world war two and that came out this year so why wouldn't you review it and uh (laughs) you gave it a glowing review uh yeah yeah surprise you are actually a fan of shooters so obviously you were a fan of this one but it was uh a good one you called i had a note here hold on you called call of duty a triumphant return to its roots yeah, Tell so the, here, here's there's some interesting things about me and Call of, the Call of Duty games. Um, so uh, uh, I'm I'm an old school shooter uh, fan. I, I love first person shooters. Mm. Um, have since you know since I've been playing them on the PC from like the late '90s on. Um, <clears throat> Call of Duty games have they were they never they never really appealed to me when the series first came out and and I'll be honest with you I I was so fatigued by World War II themed games um 10 years ago that I I thought I'd never want to play another World War II themed game again mm-hmm. um I was so ready I, I mean like the shooters that I loved were like uh Half-Life and um Unreal Tournament and that sort of thing. You know, I liked I liked the more kind of uh, sci-fi settings, that sort of that. You know, those sure, kinds sure. of games. The the ones that give you the supernatural abilities that yeah, not yeah. be possible in the world. Yeah. So now, in in recent years, I've I've, I've actually uh, handled the review duties for Call of Duty a number of times. Uh, I reviewed uh, Black Ops Two. I reviewed Ghosts. Uh, or Ghost, I reviewed uh, Infinite Warfare last year, and then uh, I reviewed World War II this year. Mm. Um, and uh, I actually really, really liked Infinite Warfare, spe- spe- especially the uh, the single-player campaign, but I was apparently in the minority on that. A lot of people give didn't really care for it, and I think it was because of the multiplayer. Well, that's what I've heard. I've heard actually that it was uh, received well by critics, especially the single player, but the multiplayer at large was uh, not well uh, received and people were like, there was balancing issues or what have you and multiplayer issues, multiplayer issues. That's generally what I've heard. And I mean, you know, in in the multiplayer every, every year in the multiplayer, I, I, I just get annihilated. I cannot, 
stand up to these kids that play like 24 hours a day. Uh, and you know, I, I don't want to. <laughs> sure. Damn whippersnappers. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's fine. I, I can, I can enjoy it in my own way. Um, but I, I tend to enjoy this, the, the campaign modes a lot more. My son is really into the zombie stuff. Yeah. Um, but I, I would say, and, and, and another weird thing is, like, I mean, the Call of Duty games, especially especially since, I guess, World at War, like, 10 years ago, mm. has really been three games rolled into one. And that's that's been the biggest, uh, it's it's one of the coolest things about it, and it's one of the, uh, the things that drives me the most nuts about it. Um, because... Uh, it's a it's a ton of content every year, uh, but it it's there's really not much connection between those three components. Uh, mm-hmm. There's only the sparsest uh, connective tissue, and and actually I think this year uh, this year has been the most connected those three components have been with the uh, the world historical World War II campaign uh, with the multiplayer using all of the historical. Uh, weaponry and the, uh, the 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 different divisions that are based on on actual divisions from World War II, uh, and then of course the the Nazi zombies. So um, I, I thought it was a, a, a much more kind of cohesive package. The uh, the campaign was good, but it wasn't quite as good as Infinite Warfare's was last year. But mm. Uh, the multiplayer was was solid. It, in in many ways, it was very streamlined from how it's been in the last few years. And then they introduced this new uh, kind of objective based uh, cooperative mode called War. Um, that uh, I think it's it, it's I've seen similar concepts in other shooter games over the years. Um, but the, I think this, this is probably the best execution of it that I've seen, um, where you literally are axes versus allies and you're, you're literally kind of running through a campaign, like a, not, not like a, not like a campaign, like a single player mode, but like a, a war campaign, sure. right? Um, and like, you know, your goal is to get your tanks across the bridge, and as the uh, the uh, axis, and then as the allies, your goal is to stop them uh, from getting the tanks over the bridge or blowing up the bridge before they can get it, you get their tanks over that sort of thing. Um, and yeah, this, uh, this sounds similar to some of Battlefield One's uh, last yeah, year's sounds- Battlefield uh, modes. Definitely. Um, have you played Battlefield One? And if so, can you compare and contrast the two games? Because they're both returns to historic uh, gameplay. Yeah. I, I have not played Battlefield One. Um, I, I was going to say this mode sounds very much like the twenty v twenty in Star Star Wars Battlefront Two. Yeah, but this is a I I uh, I have played that. I have played that. This is a little less chaotic. Um, like you have very specific tasks that you have to achieve as a team in order to pro- progress to the next phase. So there's usually usually like three phases in, in for each side, depending on how uh, uh, how how each kind of round goes. Mm. Um. It, 
I was I was I was very impressed with it. Uh, it was the most fun, and and each of the maps uh, had kind of a historical battle context too. Mm-hmm. Uh, like one of the maps was the uh, storming of the beach at Normandy. So like you're sure. you're coming up from the the water uh, as allies, and then as Axis, you're defending the bunkers. Um, uh, it was it was pretty good, um, and then Nazi zombies I thought was pretty good too. Uh, I know, um, I know Kay, uh, you you got to see that uh, a few months ago, didn't you? Uh, no, I got to interview creative oh, right. director uh, Cameron Dayton and director of development John Horsley at San Diego Comic Con. Ah, that's uh, right. Which was very funny because they said, "Hey, do you want to come have an interview?" And I'm like, like, what's it about? And they're like, and I'm like, okay, it must be destiny too. You know, like, okay. And I don't know if you guys, I don't know if anyone listening knows what it's like to be at San Diego comic-con, but I was 97. (laughs) It is insane. It is like, it is easily 14 hour days between, you know, doing the convention, going to after parties, trying to make connections, trying to get interviews. Um, and so much is constantly being announced that, like, I learn about what happened at San Diego Comic-Con after San Diego Comic-Con is over yeah. and I'm home. And so I walk in and they're like, hey, are you ready to talk about Nazi zombies? And I'm like, what? And they're like, yeah, we just announced it like an hour ago. And I'm like, ice cream truck. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's talk about Nazi zombies. Um, so... Um, yeah, I actually, my interview is put up on Gaming Trend. Uh, it's called The Science of Building War Zombies because, um, you know, I was a little caught off guard, but I grew up a horror movie nerd. Uh, I watched every horror movie I could get my hands on in college. And I said, oh, you know, so these are a little bit more 28 Days Later versus Night of the Living Dead. And they looked at me and went, oh, you're going to love this game. You'll know every Easter egg in this game. <laughs> so um we talked a lot about you know how the zombies function within the game um are they all the same types um how are they used why are they created and just kind of it was fun talking about the science of a fictional thing <laughs> i have i have very little context for the nazi zombies uh, game modes for Call of Duty because the only time I really dedicatedly played Nazi Zombies was the original Nazi Zombies, which was the bonus mission from World at War. It was right. very, very simple and very, uh, it was much more reserved uh, than what they have going now. Like basically, you had the two unlockable rooms, and the rooms were simply just small spaces where you fought waves of zombies. And we found it very compelling as uh, teenagers back then. I don't know why. It was just literally <laughs> the same thing over and over. And uh, now, then I came back to it one year with, I think, Black Ops 2 or something or other. And playing that watching how you had to like summon this giant that would like troll that would carry a thing and there were these wolf statues and crazy alien guns and it, the the game is clearly evolved into something astronomically more incre- insane and and just insane like that you, as yeah, the, what, what it started they've added layers right like on a, on a core level, it's very much that we're just 
decimating waves of zombies, right? Mm, yeah. It's still that, but then there's these like uh, these meta games that are within it, where like you're opening up new areas of the map, and then you're, like you're uh, completing these different tasks to like you know build a certain weapon or to uh, trigger some some kind of event to happen within the environment. Um, uh, I think there's, there's like two different layers in Nazi zombies. One is uh, um, where you like the whole premise is that like your, your team are these like kind of uh, uh, um, art liberators. Like the Nazis stole all this famous artwork. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. The monuments men. Yes, the monuments men, and um, and so you're trying to reclaim these these pieces of priceless works of art um, that are hidden on the map, but then you're also trying to f- trace what the evil scientist who triggered the whole thing, who incidentally was played by Udo Kier, uh, <laughs> um. And and trying to and, and like you know figuring out how to like uh, uh, actually kind of resolve the zombie situation in that in that area. I, I mean, I've played a few of these, and I'll be honest, I feel like a lot of them have been you know kind of forgettable or just you know not my thing. Uh, I really liked this one, um, and I, I think it's because they really kind of embraced the horror aspect of it a lot more than they have in recent years. I, I think last year they had David Hasselhoff in it. Yes, um, right. So, I did remember that headline yeah. at some point, yeah. So, yeah. Mike, let me ask you. One of the things they were really excited about was that you could play the Nazi zombie campaign mode several times. Yes. Playing different characters, and you would learn different things playing different characters. Did you find that... Have you explored that at all? Has that been exciting? Oh gosh, um, you know, I, 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 I kind of tackled it from a, a slightly more superficial uh, okay. mode. That's interesting, though. I'll have to look into that. Um, but I, what I want, one of the things I wanted to say is, uh, like, what, what a lot of people don't realize is that Sledgehammer Games was formed. The devs of of, of Call of Duty. World War II, um, was formed by a bunch of ex-visceral guys. Uh, so a lot of the guys that work at Sledgehammer worked on the first couple of Dead Space games. Right. Um, so that really, really showed in Nazi Zombies, just like the level of like horror and gore quality, um, uh, really kind of kicked up a few notches from, from previous years. And, and then, and then it was also very interesting because, uh, literally day one of the event was the day that EA closed visceral. Mm. So Michael, Michael Condry, one of the, one of the co founders of the studio, um, who was one who used to be at visceral like he was very melancholy that night um and i i honestly don't blame him we, we nice guy bunch of nice guys really uh but they were I, they, I could tell they were very sad to see their 
their uh, old studio go the way it went. Yeah, sure. I'm sure a lot of people they knew. Sad, sad story. Uh, but yeah. f- real quick, quick, getting back to Nazi zombies. I like, I like the yes. uh, specifically the the historic aspect to that. Yes. Uh, the fact that, like, you know, because originally Nazi zombies was just this campy. Uh, incentive to feel uh, justified in killing them. First of all, zombies is that like you know justification <laughs> to brutally kill lots of human bodies, uh, and then Nazis is the next best thing to that. And then putting them together was this very almost absurdist way of uh, exploring that even further back in World at War. So now adding a, his, an historic aspect to it with. Uh, the concept of the uh, we see like the, like uh, the Nazis, uh, the monumentsmen, monumentsmen, yeah, but like them, uh, well, yeah, exactly that that they're uh bringing up this aspect where the Nazis were uh conditioning their art and in that country and in each country that they were in, uh, that's very interesting, uh, especially in today are- with all the Nazi, you know, headlines making in real world days, it's, it's, it makes Oof. it even more interesting <laughs> for sure. Yeah. And it's cool that these are not just like a, a virus thing. These are actual war constructs. These are created yeah. for a specific purpose, which is to go and do what other living troops can't do. Right, yeah. Yep. Whole other story yep. happening. Don't even know. Incredible. There's, we, we need to wrap up soon, but there is another Nazi-related video game that came out, which is insane. And <laughs> uh, it is Wolfenstein, the new Colossus, which is Wolfenstein 2. Uh, and this game I have not played. However, I started replaying and playing through what I didn't make through Wolfenstein 1, The New Order. Uh, and holy crap, I did not know how much I would enjoy shooting <laughs> Nazis. And I honestly, like, I've come to a point in my maturity of like tastes in games where I feel like I don't need to be shooting things all the time. I like PUBG, but I only play it sparsely and I loved overwatch. I'm not playing it at all. Almost now. Uh, and destiny two, I had for a minute and I used to be a hardcore shooter fan. And nowadays I just, I can't play more than a week of dedicated shooters. And it's because I get sick of just shooting things and especially games that are these uh, linear uh, just r- almost run-and-gun shooter games, right? Like, say, Battlefield or Call of Duty. I- I'm not a fan of those games anymore, or so I thought. But there is an itch that I had that I didn't know about. Uh, it's like it's like we, we don't want to get past PG on the podcast, but it's like when you're in a relationship <laughs> and you try new things in a relationship and you don't know that you'll like them. And you don't, you wouldn't think in a world ever that you would like them. Like sushi. Let's say it's sushi. You like sushi. You never thought you would like sushi. There's, you'd never even thought of trying sushi. But then one night you decide to try sushi with your relationship person. And then, oh, I guess I like sushi now. Looks like I like sushi. And that is exactly the same reaction I had with shooting zombie, shooting Nazis with dual wielding assault rifles in wolfenstein the new order so joe, i'm enjoying joe, that game you, you totally but, just described the first like two months of my my dating with my wife right there <laughs> well i mean it's a universal <laughs> thing i'm talking about sushi with your girlfriend and sure I, sure man, i mean it's it is true it is true I'm sushi dying yeah 
It is true. Sushi was we we I didn't try eat sushi before dating my girlfriend. But anyway, go moving on. Wolfenstein two. Uh Wolfenstein one I'm enjoying. I'm enjoying killing Nazis. I am not enjoying picking up every piece of armor and ammo that is lying on the ground with the <laughs> E button. That is just not my fun thing to do. I tried it and lo and behold I don't like it. So Mike, what does Wolfenstein 2 do well and not so well from what you've experienced so, so far? All right. So I'm only about three hours into Wolfenstein sure. 2. And and I mean, just to give you some credit, Joe, I, I go through waves. Like, I can't always play shooters not like I used to. Yeah. And um, and frankly, I, 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 when I saw Wolfenstein 1 at E3 a few years ago, uh, I wasn't too impressed with it. And like... It took me a while before I even bought it, and then I like, you know, played it for an hour, and then I didn't touch it for a while, and it was in my Steam backlog, and then just all of a sudden one day I just I went back to it and I was like, oh wait, this game is awesome, yeah, <laughs> and then I just blazed through it, and then I saw the Wolfenstein two trailer at this E three, and was just like, okay, that's a day one purchase right there, yeah. Um, and uh and yeah you know what it is it's it kind of goes back to that that whole call of duty campaign thing i love the narrative shooter um that is one of my favorite types of games and when it's a great like kind of over the top shooter um with a great narrative uh like you get in in wolfenstein and wolfenstein 2 um then it's just you know i i'm 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 in I'm in my zone right there. I just love it. I'm hearing um, that the narrative of the game is uh, probably the focal point of it. That the gameplay is good or even serviceable, some people would say. But the the oh, story, the, the level design the so far is really really good. I'm three hours in. Level design is top notch. About as good as it gets in um in in, in a first person shooter uh, single player game. I think. Sure. Uh, it's certainly it's certainly the best I've seen in years, and it, it's already head and shoulders above the first game. Um, and yes, they do solve that problem. You walk over things and you pick them up. Now, it 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 sometimes if if <laughs> you you aren't going to have to go pick up everything. Like you will walk over it, you will pick up ammo. It's I was guys, I was I was half an hour into this mission, and I was looking up mods for. By the way, not mod. Uh, cap- compatible Wolfenstein one, but like yeah. I was looking for PC mods to download in order to break this game and get me to automatically. What a nightmare! I- I'm sorry, yeah. Mike. Continue. You know, and, and I mean that might have been what kind of turned me off on it when I first tried to play it a few years back. But um, I, I don't know. There's just such character, and 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 I mean I've been playing Wolfenstein games since the '80s, so. <laughs> yeah, right. This is you a know. reboot series, uh, technically. Although yeah. this uh, Wolfenstein 3D, which was, I think, the the 80s game, that was m- a very much big part of that was uh, two things: multiplayer, like multiplayer shooters. No, no, no. Well, that was 90s. And then, that was the that 90s, was 90s shooter. Oh, yeah, then, yeah. I don't know what I'm talking about. Don't listen. Yeah, to me. the 80s one was even more rudimentary. I sure. played it on my Commodore 64. Oh yes, yeah, the Commodore 64. Uh. <laughs> So this game, uh, uh, people are big fans of it. Our reviewer is obviously a fan. That's uh, Travis Northup, and he called it a pulse-pounding badass. It said it had pulse-pounding badass gameplay and masterful narrative. Uh, 
And so far, the first game definitely has some of that. Um, mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to starting Wolfenstein 2 once I blast through this game. I might start playing easy difficulty on uh, Wolfenstein 1 just because I really, I'm, I'm a big, I'm being a baby about the uh, ammo pickup <laughs> thing, but it's it's very tedious. So I don't want to spend time and I want to play 2, obviously. Uh, but Mike, you're three hours in so far. Uh, give us your, uh, your all-encompassing encomium of your initial three hours of Wolfenstein well, 2. Well, I mean, it, it, basically, I have all these other games that I have to play, and all I really want to be playing is Wolfenstein's two, Wolfenstein 2, to be honest. It's, cool. it, I, I'm, I'm glad I'm able to take my time with it. Uh, I mean, I'm getting in an hour here, an hour there. Um, uh, but uh, it, it's, I'm, I'm savoring each morsel. It's, it's really... Uh, one of my favorite types of games. It's probably going to be in my top five, if not top three for the year. Wow. Wow. Yeah. But I, I mean, it, it's a personal bias for me. This is like, well, that is, that is how <laughs> that is literally how games criticism and opinions work. So yeah, totally yeah. fine with that. Yeah. I yeah. haven't gotten to play it, but I edited the video when uh, Tyler Brown played it for us at the Bethesda event. Mm-hmm. And those fire-breathing metal dog things are just horrendously wonderful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not a fan of Nazis. Don't like Nazis, but that, but that tech looks really sweet. So I, I, I definitely am a big fan of that. Hate Nazis though. Not a fan yeah. of Nazis. But I mean, but I think the thing that I'm really liking is just like you know. You're you're in Wolfenstein one. You know how the story's going along, right? You, you're yes. kind of uh, so this this kind of just takes things even more to the extreme. Mm. Like it is it is at once you know very kind of serious and deliberate and 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 on the other hand, it's like ridiculously over the top. The characters are are cartoons. But they're awesome, and and it's it, just getting to each cutscene where they're just chewing up scenery is just uh, incredibly satisfying. That's it's it's cool to hear that. I keep hearing that from everyone that's played the game that it is this weird, jarring pace of really, uh, in um, I would say personable and almost heart-wrenching moments and then immediately flipping to this absurdist cartoony uh over the top nature and uh, the fact that that works is really surprising so i'm really excited to get into it no Um, i'm i'm blown away i'm blown away I, i this this is it's really good i'm i'm enjoying the hell out of it well i'm excited definitely uh, so real quick, before we start wrapping up, uh, I, we've all talked about what games we're playing. I'm playing Wolfenstein one. Uh, I, every now and then jump into PUBG, and, uh, everyone should play PUBG. Uh, Kay, what are you currently playing right now before we wrap <laughs> up? Right now, while we're talking, I'm rolling for shiny Pokemon. <laughs> oh my goodness. Playing that <laughs> um, Pokemon. Not ultra moon I, or sun, of course. I wish. Yeah. I wish. Um, I'm still trying to play stardew valley but i've reached a point where uh i have hit a a wall and i can't progress because i'm waiting for the patch to come out because i can't place anything more in the museum um but actually most of my time this week has gone to um i got an advanced copy of visual novel builder oh excellent visual novel version of rpg maker 
So um, I am attempting to build a game where you go to a stand-up comedy school and have to deliver a great stand-up comedy routine. And depending on how you perform, a person, one of the class members in the audience will decide they want to That sounds magical. I am so excited for your game, <laughs> wow. which you are building with a game. Love um, game builders. I'm, I'm excited for a uh, visual novel creator. I actually am interested in, in trying that out. It's pretty fun. It's definitely aimed at high school dating, which is why I had to do a school even setting. Even better. Even better. But uh, yes. yeah, it's it's been fun. It's challenging. If you've ever done a game builder, it's not like you push a button and a game comes out. It's still a lot of work. Good. But uh, it certainly comes with enough assets and enough power to get you going. Mm. That actually sounds like something my daughter would like. What platform is that on? Steam. Ah, Okay. We gotta All get right, it well, on Switch. Well, Everything needs to be on Switch, guys. <laughs> if, it, exactly. if there's two dimensional services, it's gotta be on Switch. Speaking Mike, of on Switch. Speaking of on Switch, Mike Dunn, you are playing a game on Switch, from what yeah, I hear. Yeah, so so I'm actually playing two games on Switch. Uh, I can't talk about one of them yet. Um, suffice to say that it's it's deeply disappointing me, uh, and I'll leave it at that. Um, the other one I just got, I've maybe spent about 30 minutes and I'm going to dive deep into it as soon as I uh, get off of the microphone here uh, is doom for the switch. Um, and I'm kind of blown away at how good this port is on this platform. It's, it's crazy good. And like, I the the I, I played Doom on the PC, loved it. That was one of my favorite games last oh, yeah. year. Um, definitely kind of brought back that old school FPS feel for me. Um, and gorgeous, and, beautiful yeah, game, just beautiful, beautiful. And I'm I'm playing it on the Switch, and I'm getting that same feeling, like oh yeah, oh yeah, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That is that is all that needs to be said about because I mean everyone. That's the question everyone's wondering, right? How are these ports going to do with the Switch? This is a whole other topic, like talking about, okay, third party is now interested in Switch because the Switch yeah. sold well. So are they going to be able to manage this lower tier hardware? And Doom, which is this highly incredible looking game and definitely uh, relies on performance really heavily specifically control performance and yeah. outputting images at a fast rate that is very impressive i remember playing it on xbox one and dropping it quickly because uh i got the pc version and yeah I got my new pc and i wanted to see the beauty of that but the xbox one version ran at 60 frames which was great at the uh cost of uh resolution so i assume they pulled the same trick here uh, yeah which yeah. is great well, so I've only played it handheld so far, and mm. I will say this: uh, it it's really tough playing with the Joy Cons attached to the screen. Mm. It, it's 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 not the best way. So, like immediately, because um, I was I think I was doing I was multitasking or something. I had something else on the TV. I like popped the Joy Cons off, pull, put them on my controller, whatever that thing is called. Sure, the strap, the, pu the puppy thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um and then just uh kind of propped up the screen in front of me on the coffee table and then i was like oh okay yeah here we go <laughs> uh and and started getting into it um and so i'm gonna try it docked and i think it's gonna be 
just great. It's going to be just fine. And, and it looks beautiful, beautiful on the Switch screen. Absolutely to, beautiful. I got to play about 15 minutes of it. And I was kind of looking around like, are you sure this is okay to be on a Nintendo console? <laughs> yeah, right? Like, the amount of gore that yeah. spreads out yeah. as you're shooting and how good and accurate it does it you're just like really nintendo's okay with this are you sure is uh, okay like, i mean nintendo had contra it's had it's had violent yeah. games on there before but like yeah, oh, yeah. it's definitely like it, it hey, is some a double take there was kind a of dead game. space game on the wii i mean yeah so um yeah i mean I, honestly my biggest concern right now is the fact that my uh youngest daughter is going to have to see that tile on the 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 dashboard screen when she goes to play splatoon 2 well you can uh yeah well you can uh you can mess with print there's parental controls i, I know stuff, i'm right? gonna, yeah. I'm gonna... <laughs> yeah. I, I don't actually know i haven't had to deal but i mean right, I, I assume right. they do well with that that's well, i think i just need to get more games right I mean, always, but there's always, but there's, but there's, I mean, always more games, please. More games on the switch always. <laughs> but I mean, there's, there's a great number of games. This is Animal for, Crossing. for me, for me, official, we understand for me, uh, <laughs> I can officially say now that, that switch is my console right now. Uh, I, I love PS4 and the exclusives it brings. My Xbox is an Xbox, and I have a great PC that uh, delivers any game I could want on the highest resolution and what have you. But the Switch is just what I go to all the time because it's got the games that I want to play on it, and it is always ready for me. And I could just pop in, pop out, and or I could delve into these games deeply on my big screen TV. I, I I can only just keep coming on to my podcast that I host every week and talk about how great the switch is. So, uh, you know, it's good to hear that more games that are good are coming onto the switch. However, I won't play doom on the switch. I mean, it's a PC game for me, to be honest. I love, Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, and my, my, my platform of choice right now is actually PC, but sure. I think part of the reason is because um, the only game that I really wanted to play on the Switch up until lately was Breath of the Wild. Sure. And boy, did I play that game. I love that game. <laughs> um, and, and you know, consequently, that game also made me fall in love with the hardware. So I'm, oh, yeah. I'm, right, on, I'm right there with you. I, I think it's just a matter of time before the Switch becomes like... Uh, it gives gives my PC a run for the money. I mean, sure, yeah. It's yeah. it's just such a great piece of tech. I, I I dig the hell out of it. Yeah, definitely. So and and everyone, I, I'm I'm very sad that my son took his pro controller when he moved out. Um, oh, what a nightmare! Yeah, it I just, know. I got I got to get one. Excommunicate him, obviously. Because uh, I mean, have you have you tried that pro controller? Oh yeah, I played a good amount. I I've actually played a lot of Mario Odyssey with the Joy Cons split because Nintendo said so, and uh-huh. uh, and I'm just obviously uh, a, a bot that can only do what Nintendo tells me to do. But no, I played a lot of Mario on the Pro Controller, and wow, the Pro Controller is great. It's just it's an Xbox controller. I still my go to. I'm still an Xbox One controller apologist. I hear that it gets a lot of. Uh, bad rep, which is insane. I have my Elite controller; it's my favorite gamepad of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the the Pro controller is 
fantastic and has the best d-pad on the market right now no that i mean i was really pleasantly surprised like the heft of it the feel Mm. of it and um like using that with uh, breath of the wild with the uh, tilt controls oh yeah uh like wow i i was totally blown away but yeah anyway yeah absolutely i digress Yes, all good <laughs> games. All all should be on the Switch. The Switch is great. Anyway, yes. uh, these this was a great podcast. We're gonna start wrapping it up now. But before we do, uh, I want to make sure you guys can plug anything you're working on, uh, and then Twitter handles and such. Kay, are you working on anything currently, or have anything up on the site? Um, not really. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping to have um. Stardew Valley up as soon as they have a patch so I can see what's actually been fixed. Sure. And um, I just put up Mononoke Forest, which is this tiny unknown 3DS game for under $5. Mm. And uh, we'll have Game Maker, or Visual Novel Maker up soon. And awesome. you can find me on Twitter at KDamnFear. Yes. K is always doing stuff behind the scenes uh and constantly keeping us in a row sending out emails mike dunn however just does nothing he just he just sits around <laughs> he on just sits around day, plays video games and then whatever but mike do you have anything rick has pitch? its privileges <laughs> <laughs> mike are you uh working on anything you have your call of duty world war Two review up on the site uh, yes as i remember yeah, uh, that's up on the site. Um, the embargo for Doom is up tomorrow. I, there's no way I'm gonna. That's that's not happening. Uh, sure, sure. But it's just you know Bethesda does what Bethesda does. Yes. Um, and honestly, uh, I I feel like I need to wait until there's some uh, online multiplayer action before I can really resolve that because I'm really curious how that's going to work on the Switch. Yeah, Switch online, not always the best, so I'll be, I'll yeah. be curious as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, I've got, I've got another Switch review that's going to go up on Monday. Um, I alluded to that earlier. Mm. Um, and then uh, I also have a, uh, a, an Oculus Rift review uh, for a game that... Um, was having a little problems with because the 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 studio gave me a, an advanced copy that kind of uh, I couldn't update for some reason. Dealt with some technical issues. I now have a retail copy. It's Arctica One, Arctica Point One. Okay. Um, it's a rails shooter. Uh, there have been a lot of like rails shooters where you teleport around, kind of on a on a linear path. Uh, this is one of the better takes on it I've seen. And it's really, really uh, high quality. Uh, it's from the Metro Last Light devs, um, and uh, and yeah, I hope to have that that one finished uh, pretty soon as well. Okay, cool. Wow, Oculus oh, Rift. Do you remember Oculus Rift? I I didn't until now. Okay, uh, that reminded me. I've got a thing. I'm going um, a week from today to the IMAX VR Center. Oh, right, yeah. To check out a couple games. Um, one is going to be um, Star Trek Bridge Crew, and it's got the Rescue at Persef, which is not available in the game. It's only going to be available at the IMAX VR Center. Mm. And I'm going to go play Deadwood Mansion. So uh, we're going to do some VR multiplayer in person, and uh, I'll have that up soon. Okay, cool. I just remembered something else, too. <laughs> Um, not this weekend, but next weekend I'll be going to fantastic arcade here in Austin. 
Uh, it's an indie game um, uh, festival that used to be attached with the Fantastic Fest uh, that Alamo threw, uh, but now it's split off onto its own thing. Um, my friend Wiley runs it uh, with Brandon Boyer, and uh, they uh, they always they they have like about six or seven uh, indie games. Uh, that they build arcade cabinets for and let people play uh, in addition to like a bunch of uh, indie dev talks and and that sort of thing so uh, i'll be i'll be hitting that uh, and uh, getting some some coverage up on on the site from that uh, probably going into the thanksgiving holiday and beyond okay great and into five minutes and beyond i will be going to bed so Uh i can fall asleep (laughs) in the bed, but I wanted to thank you two folks so much for coming on to the podcast. We got to get you on more often. You're both yeah. fantastic folks. And uh, to our listeners, if you, we haven't already reminded you in this podcast episode, you can send all questions and concerns to podcast at gamingtrend.com and go to Gaming Trend and check out all this awesome stuff. We, we put stuff up all the time. It's like what we do, and yep. you should definitely check it out. And uh, you could also go to the forums, which are gamingtrend.com slash forum for all that. And uh, until next week, thank you so much for listening. And once again, folks, thank you for coming on. My pleasure. Thanks for having us. And so now we got, I got, I got one more thing that I'd like to talk about on the show. And in the spirit of what you did last week, Joe, by throwing me a curveball from Queens, yes. I'm going to be, I was trying to think of some funny. Quip. You're not funny. You can't think of it. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll bend it like Beckham from London or some there shit. I don't know. Um, anyway, so I'm going to throw you a curveball. Okay. Uh, so, and you don't have to agree to this, or hell, we don't even have to actually do it if you don't want to. Okay. But I was thinking, you and I should both commit to playing a game with the other person that's out of the realm of games we would normally play. Oof, okay. Obviously, like it has to be on a system that we both have. Sure. Could call it. Which I think really is just PC. Well, right I have now, Xbox, I mean, technically. Oh, you don't have PC. Well, Xbox. but I don't anymore. Well, you, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, PC. I mean, I'll, I'll be getting one eventually. I don't know when. Okay. But, um, so, for the moment, it's just PC. Sure. But, so, and obviously, this would then involve some money from both of us because we would have to, you know, so maybe we agree on a price or something like that. We have to or, go buy the don't game. do it at all. Yeah, or we don't at all. I don't care. We don't, I'm just this is just an idea. Okay, yeah. but that complicates the issue, but we can will, figure it out. I'm sure. Right, but you come up with a game. It could be something you already own, sure, and that I don't, and vice versa. Sure, and you will come up with something that you want me to try that I would that I either that, that I don't like or a genre that I wouldn't normally play or whatever, mm-hmm. and I'll and I'll play that with you, and I'll commit to playing that with you. Okay, for. A, x period of time i don't know we'll have to determine that and then the same thing in return for me i'll i don't know like you don't really seem to be in a strategy game so maybe i'll get you oh a strategy oh my god we'll play (laughs) see right this is why this will be fun yeah okay oh i think this will be a great idea i think though i mean i would love to suggest a game to you i think though i've suggested about 20 games to you 
so far since true. we've started. This is true. And we've like I you've probably suggested games to me and I've just ignored them entirely. Or or you haven't suggested as many games, but I've suggested PUBG. You love PUBG, by the way. I've suggested Overwatch. You seem a big fan of Overwatch. We played Helldivers once and we mm-hmm. were okay with that. So so far I'm just I would love to play I'm just a gem, again. Mike. I'm just full of great ideas for you. So but anyway, it, I'm I'm kidding of course, but I wanna I think I mean, if you want me to suggest a game and we pick that, then I could do that. But I think it would be fairer if you picked the game first. But if you if you conceived it as me going first, then I'll do that. I, I don't really care. Um, I don't know. You have done a good job. You have done a good job picking games. You have also done a great job ignoring all the games that I have recommended okay. to you and then complaining about the games that I've ignored that you have recommended, right. even though I've actually played plenty right, of them. Right, good. So we should we should address that first. <laughs> we should just we should we should I'm just, set that aside. I'm just, yeah. I'm just giving you shit. Sure. I really don't care. Sure. Um But I don't know. Uh I, I'd have to think about it, but I feel like one of the one of the important things is to do something like so you said PUBG, Overwatch, and uh, uh, Helldivers. Right. I probably and suggested other games guess... that I'm just glossing over because they were bad. That's another thing. Well, there's Hearthstone, there's Hearthstone too. And now we're coming actually. down on Hearthstone this week. So there's that. Yeah. yeah. But now Hearthstone, that actually is... That's that's like properly out of my usual gaming area because I don't ever do card oh, games. Oh, right. It has to be outside of our realms of, of expertise. It, it doesn't Got it. have to be, but I think that would it's more interesting. be cool, cooler. It'd be more interesting. Sure. Yeah. Like, um, you know, Overwatch first-person shooter, like, I play first-person shooters, sure. and I play multiplayer first-person shooters. Same with PUBG. Sure. And Helldivers arguably is outside because I don't ever do twin-stick shooters. Yeah, sure. So, um, I don't know. Anyway, that's that's what I was thinking we should try okay. for next week. We should definitely so. try it. You should play a little game called Super Mario Odyssey. I'll ship over Jesus my Switch Christ. to you. No, we'll we'll figure it out. I think that's a good idea and we'll we'll definitely discuss the the, the game and our experience with it and that'll that'll be a great segment. I think that's perfect. That's great. We we yeah, can even record yeah, it yeah, if yeah. we if we have the technology, which we probably do. And then we could like, it'll be great. This is like a source of content or something for our listeners. It's great. Yeah. 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 All right. I, uh, the rest of our content is not content for, for our listeners. Clearly. No, no. It's, just, it's additional. It's content. terrible. Yeah. No, I know. I'm just, anyway, we're going to end it there. Okay. Uh, unless you've got anything else to talk about that I don't know about. You don't to throw me any curveballs or anything at the moment. No, I'm excited to no? play okay. some really terrible strategy games and just berate you oh, for them. Because, God, okay. Right. Well, I'm going to find the fucking worst one I can. Excellent. Now I'm going to find the main, like, 1992, <laughs> yes. and it's going to be horrible, and you're going to hate it, and I'm just going to enjoy every minute of I'm it. I'm excited. It's going to be great. Yeah. Do you have anything you got going on gaming train at the moment? Are uh, you working on anything right now? Well, you know, the super Mario odyssey review is up. I only barely contributed to it. Our, uh, our mm-hmm. current, uh, one of our news editors, Alicia de Gracias, I think I said his name, right? Alicia wrote the mm-hmm. review for super Mario odyssey. He was a big fan of it. He gave it a 10 or a 100 out of 100. Nice. And, uh, nice. I totally agree with that review. I had some more, issues with it than he did but it is not disparaging enough to uh take away a masterful uh review for it so i contributed some of my words to the game it's a fantastic game uh so you can check out the mario odyssey review on gamingtrend.com 
Perfect. And you can also go to GamingTrend.com to listen to our wonderful podcast. And uh, you can also check out news and other reviews and videos and all sorts of coverage. Uh, it's, a, it's a great website. It's a great news source. Yeah, great it's great. Website. Love you should Game go Trend, there. Yes. You should definitely go there. Yeah, it's I, I mean, I might be a little bit biased, maybe, yes. but I definitely think you should check it out. Excellent. And uh, as always, you can follow Mr. Joseph DeClara from Queens, right? That's right. No, Brooklyn. Yeah. That's Brooklyn. You're from Brooklyn. It's a joke. I know you're it's from Brooklyn. Joke. Um, <laughs> his uh, Twitter handle is at Joey Dagabonuts. That's Bagadonuts with the D and the B switched. You can follow myself at Grumpy Gamer. That's Grumpy with two R's. And for everything else, go to GamingTrend.com. Thanks for listening, and Joe, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me.